Good morning, everyone. I call the ACB annual 2022 annual business meeting back to order. Welcome, everybody. I hope everybody enjoyed the baseball game last night. There were hardly any hits, right? It was almost a no-hitter, I understand. <laughs> I think they set a record for the most home runs in a, in a game there. Wow, it's pretty, pretty amazing. All right, everyone. First, as we get started, just a couple of announcement reminders. Uh, I, you all have all settled in well, but just a re one time. Our we're, ballroom is divided into three sections, A, B, and C. A is you first come in, B is the middle section, C is the end section. Rows are from the back row one to the front row 13. And the back three rows in the C section are for mask required only sections. So uh, again, welcome everybody. I wanna remind you that we're still uh, enjoying having new people join our monthly monetary support program, so please consider doing that. Uh, the phone number to, to get hold of Gene Mann and join is 888, excuse me, yes, 888-999-3190. That's 888-999-3190. Or email her at askacbmms.org gmail dot, excuse me, askacbmms at gmail.com. That's uh, askacbmms at gmail.com. Also, we're down to only about 25 raffle tickets left for the Braille Forum raffle drawing on Thursday night. So go to registration, get them, or see Alan Peterson. There's only a few left, so let's get all those raffle tickets sold out for a big $5,000 grand prize coming up on Thursday night at the banquet. So thank you for that. Now, we'd like to introduce two of our J.P. Morgan Chase fellows uh, to lead us in the Pledge of Allegiance. Cecily Laney Cooper, <laughs> Cecily Laney Nipper from Covington, Georgia, and Kirsten Kelling from Grand Rapids, Michigan. They're laughing at me behind here, so we're all having good fun and trying our best. So here's Cecily and Kristen, here we go. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. <laughs> Ladies, thank you so much. Now we are going to hear uh, our convention sponsors from Kelly Gask. The American Council of the Blind would like to thank our 2022 conference and convention sponsors. Their continued support is sincerely appreciated. Diamond Sponsors Vanda Pharmaceuticals J.P. Morgan Chase Comcast Microsoft Meta Vispero, Emerald Sponsors, Amazon, MGM Resorts, Verizon, Walmart, Spectrum, Johnson & Johnson, Ruby Sponsors, AT&T, Google, Waymo, Cruise, Adobe, NCTA, the Internet and Television Association. Onyx Sponsors, 
Mobile Voting, an Initiative of Tusk Philanthropies, American Printing House, Election Systems and Software, Democracy Live, Topaz Sponsors, ACB Lions, Pearl Sponsors, Library Users of America. Thank you, Kelly. And now we are going to hear uh, via Zoom uh, live this morning from our diamond sponsor of the day, Microsoft. And we're going to hear from Shakib Sheikh, Principal Engineering Manager at Microsoft, <clears throat> excuse me, from Bellevue, Washington. Shakib. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, it's a real pleasure to be here. Um, I wish I could be there in person, but I'm so happy that we have these hybrid conferences now. So, yes, um, thank you so much. My name is Sakib Sheikh. I lead the Seeing AI project here at Microsoft. And today, it's my pleasure to speak with you at convention. And I'm going to talk to you a bit about the backstory of Seeing AI. Maybe you've heard of it, maybe hopefully you use it, but more than that, some of the thinking that goes on in the team behind Microsoft Seeing AI and artificial intelligence in general. So it's exciting to think that Seeing AI launched at convention five years ago. And my goodness, we've come a long way in that time both as a, a single product, but really more excitingly as an industry, as the state of the art to empower the blind community. So who am I and how did we get here? So I've been at Microsoft a number of years now, well, 16. And I grew up listening to ACB radio through college. And so, you know, being part of the blind community has been part of um, on the internet has been part of my life growing up. And now I was very fortunate after spending 10 years or so at Microsoft, I was able to take my passion for accessibility and blindness, plus the reputation I'd built up as an engineer at Microsoft, and to be able to start building what turned into seeing AI, definitely, with loads of other people at Microsoft. It's not a one-man effort, no, no, no. I have a big team now who do great work. And in the beginning, it took so many people to make this happen. But my pitch to Microsoft was, we can truly empower people with disabilities through artificial intelligence. Artificial intelligence is a bit of a buzzword, but really it's the ability for computers to be able to do things that humans do. For example, understand what's in an image, just to give one example, to recognize your voice. And ever since I was at university, I was thinking about artificial intelligence and how do we use this to help more people? So we started this project a few years back now, and I really saw that the disabled community is often a driver of innovation. You often see that, you know, we've been using talking books for decades and decades before Audible or other audiobooks became 
a thing. We've been having talking computers for decades. And it could make the list go on and on. There are so many examples where people with disabilities, including the blind community, are using these gadgets, which are niche, which are used, you know, just by our community maybe. But later on, they become something that's just part of everyday life. You know, no one looks twice at talking computers these days. I definitely remember a time when that was not true. And at Microsoft, we call this inclusive design. Design for one, extend to many. So if you can look at a small audience, look at the challenges they face and solve for that, find those innovative solutions. What that really means is that you can then over time, take that innovation, take that learning, not only help people today, but bring it to the world the large audience, the mainstream tomorrow. And so that was my pitch to leaders at Microsoft. And five years ago, we launched the Seeing AI app. We started off, again, five years ago at convention, Seeing AI, the talking camera app. It sees what you see. It sees what you see. You hold up the phone, it can read to you. It can recognize products, recognize currency, identify your friends. And the favorite part of this job to me is hearing from the community. And so I would encourage you to get in touch. Like, how are you using the app? What would you, what do you wish it could do? So as we started developing this, we started on this journey as we, ultimately this became my day job, which was a big moment. It became, clear that you know people are using this in all ways we never expected from reading text on the wall out the window everywhere is this curiosity we often think about productivity and productivity is really important but curiosity is the thing that we learned in the early days it's like people just want to know what's written around who's around what are these objects so as we learn from the community we started developing more and more AI to do more and more things. We heard from people that you know, one teacher was using seeing AI in a classroom to recognize students. So it's not something we thought it would be practical or usable, but that was really cool to hear. Or you know, people just identifying their products, sorting out their groceries when they got home, or reading their mail. And the list goes on and on. And of course, recognizing photos from other apps. So when Seeing AI 2.0 came out, we started adding features like handwriting recognition, identifying currencies. And with 3.0, we started exploring new features and new unique experiences, such as being able to explore a photo by running your finger over the touch screen. So if you haven't tried this, it allows you to move your finger over the screen and you'll feel a little haptic bump every time you find an object. And it tells you what objects are in the photo, what text there is. And we've, again, heard from so many users from all walks of life that this is really useful in 
education to get an idea of spatial awareness. People have told us how they used it to read comic books and maps, which needs more spatial awareness. And that's not something we ever anticipated. Again, it's the community that was guiding us on what we can do. Moving on, just over a year ago, we launched Signia 4.0. And between all these releases, of course, there are minor releases with improvements based on your feedback. But we thought, in many ways, AI for recognizing what's in a photo is coming a long way and is becoming built into the operating system. There are many other apps which are helping people in new ways. And that's really gratifying to know that the work we put out there is, you know, starting to trickle out to more people. And we thought, what's the next thing? And we really came up with audio augmented reality, this idea that augmented reality is a way for a phone to understand the world around you. And so with a LiDAR equipped iPhone or iPad, we're able to understand not only what's around you, but how far it is. And we place that in the 3D space. It's a bit of an early experiment still, but it means that you can hear what's on the left, what's on the right, what's further away, so that the word chair will come from the chair itself. Or you could place a virtual sound on the door and hear where the door is, which direction, how far. Again, that's an early experiment. And that's really the spirit of our team. It's this communication, uh, sorry, it's a conversation with the blindness community on the one side and scientists and engineers and Microsoft and in academia on the other. So how do we understand what are the challenges that the community faces? What are the things we wish we could solve for? And on the other side, what's the emerging tech that we can leverage in this privileged place at Microsoft to be able to bring more solutions? So that's something we're gonna to continue to do. We have some really, really, really exciting new experiments that we're working on. It's so painful not to be able to share them all with you today. I really wish I could. And, but you'll hear about them in the upcoming months. And we're really continuing on this journey of three, three themes. How do we help more people in more ways and further the state of the art? So we want to make seeing AI available to even more people. And we're going to keep figuring out one scenario at a time, one kind of task or challenge at a time. How do we bring emerging tech to bear to provide new tools for your daily life? And finally, we're also looking to how do we further the state of the art for the industry, move the industry forward? How do we for example, create data sets for scientists and researchers across academia, or how do we learn from images that our customers give us? Because right now we don't collect any data. We're very careful about privacy. But if we did, then you know what would that look like? How could we move the industry forward? So we want to help more people in more ways and further the state of the art. And really, you're a key part of that. I want to hear from you. 
Our team really, really enjoys your feedback. So would appreciate the emails, would appreciate, you know, we can do um, user studies or phone calls because really what we do depends on knowing what this community needs and how you're using the app and how we can work together to co-innovate to find the next generation of solutions. And I really look forward to inventing that together with you. So thank you so much for this opportunity. It's been a pleasure. And I really hope that next year, you know, things are a bit more back to normal and, you know, we'll be back to walking the corridors and the exhibit hall at convention next year. So thank you so much for this opportunity. And please get in touch, seeing AI at Microsoft.com. Thank you, Saqib and Microsoft for all you do for the American Council of the Blind. Next, we're going to have our angels tribute for the day. We'd like to recognize Rod Shard, who was a longtime member of the Washington Council of the Blind before he moved to Colorado and was instrumental in the Colorado affiliate of the American Council of the Blind. Please let's hear the testimony from Rod Shard. ACB presents ACB Angel, Rod Chard, October 15, 1954 to February 13, 2022. A photo of Rod, a smiling white man, balding, in shirt sleeves. Linda Yaks. Hi, my name is Linda Yaks. I first met Rod Chard back in the 90s when he moved from Washington State to Denver, Colorado. His wife, Ellen, Rod, my husband, Dennis, and I, hit it off and became really good friends. We worked together in ACB, both on the chapter and state level. Rod held offices in both the chapter and state level. He was president of American Council of the Blind of Colorado under the old setup, and then as chairman of the board when we moved to that configuration. His wife also served as a great assistant to me when I was president of the Mile High chapter. I know that Rod is a member of CCLVI and Diabetics in Action. Onset of childhood diabetes was the cause of his blindness and destroyed his kidney. In 2007, he underwent a kidney transplant. His wife passed away in the 2000s and Rod continued on without her until he contracted COVID in February of this year. He was unable to beat it, and we lost him on February 13th, 2022. Rod, you were a great friend, and you will be sorely missed. I do consider you an angel, and it's with a great deal of pleasure that I have nominated you for the Angel Wall. A logo, ACB, in print and braille, American Council of the Blind, together for a bright future. Thank you, Linda, for those stirring words, and thank you, Rod, for all your service. We'll, we'll always remember you and miss you within the American Council of the Blind. All right, we will now move on to our presenter of the day, our ACB Secretary, Denise right, Colley. Welcome, Denise. 
Good morning, ACB. You know, oh sure, I had to follow the angel presentation on one of the most awesome people in the whole entire world. We're really gonna miss Rod. He was an amazing friend. <clears throat> but I get the good day. I always get the good day, you know? It's, I get the exciting day, because I get to introduce all kinds of exciting stuff. One of the things that ACB does extremely well, and we wouldn't survive without it, is our ACB advocacy. Um, our advocacy and our legislative activities are the heart of what ACB does and is. And to talk to us this morning about our ACB advocacy updates, please help me welcome Clark Rockfall, Director of Advocacy from Alexandria, Virginia, and Swatha Nandukumar, the Advocacy and Outreach Specialist from Alexandria. Clark and Swatha. Hello, ACB. Good morning, everyone in Omaha, on ACB Media, and in Zoom land. My name is Clark Rockfall. I'm ACB's Director of Advocacy and Governmental Affairs, and it is so nice to be back in person with you all. So I. I joined ACB staff in February of 2019, and this is only my second in-person conference and convention as a staff member. Um, so really nice to connect with many, many new faces, new canes, new guide dogs, but not new voices. And even among our advocacy committees and affiliate <laughs> leaders, uh, many of you who I've spoken with and corresponded with over the past few years, it's so nice to connect in person. And we also have a new voice and a new face who has joined the Advocacy and Governmental Affairs team. And I'd like to give our ACB Advocacy and Outreach Specialist an opportunity to introduce herself as well. Hi everyone, I'm Swatha Nanda Kumar. I am ACB Advocacy and Outreach, Outreach Specialist here. Um, yeah, so I've been here for over over a year, and the first time I've been in person with, with you all. So you, you face new names, new people I get to meet, finding in human form, so. Yeah. All right. And Swatha and I would like to take this opportunity to just share with you all some top advocacy priorities that have been not only occupying our time, uh, but that we've been sharing information with you all, and you all have been raising your voices and getting your affiliates engaged on these issues as well. Uh, so the first one, the accessibility of at-home COVID testing. Has anyone heard of this? Is this uh, <laughs> has anyone encountered barriers when trying to use an at-home COVID test? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So be, from what we heard from our members uh, at the end of last year and beginning of this year, as the federal government was rolling out the nationwide free at-home testing service, ACB began communicating with the White House, the Department of Health and Human Services, the Department of Defense, 
to find out what they were doing to ensure that this testing service would also be accessible to people with uh, visual impairments, people who are blind, people who are low vision. Uh, notice I said Department of Defense, well, follow the money, right? That's where the money was coming from to, to help fund this service and do logistics for this service, but primarily it's Department of Health and Human Services that's implementing and making this available through the US Postal Service in other ways. As we were doing this outreach, and as uh, President Dan Spoon has shared previously, um, some of our members, we realized, have pretty strong connections, uh, especially through the audio description project in the Section 508 subcommittee, uh, doing work with the federal government. So through this channel, we discovered that the folks we really need to speak with are those at the National Institutes on Health, and of their 27 institutes, specifically the National Institutes on Bioimaging and Bioengineering, NIBIB for short. And we're excited that Dr. Jill from NIBIB will be joining us this afternoon at 4 p.m. to share the ongoing work of the federal government in this arena. Uh, several ACB members, including Dan Spoon, Kim Charlson, Jeff Tom, Claire Stanley, and I have had the opportunity to join monthly listening sessions to maintain this issue as a priority with the federal government, with Health and Human Services, and with the White House. So we are excited that HHS is in the process of shipping uh, some more accessible at-home tests to us here at the convention in Omaha. And they have not, to my knowledge, have not arrived yet. This was late breaking last week. So we're hopeful they get here as quickly as they can. And once they are, we'll be sure to let everyone know. And notice I said more accessible because these tests do require the use of a smartphone and a smartphone application. They still do require the use of the nasal swab and the vials with the drops. Mm -hmm. So what makes them more accessible? It's the fact that they offer audible instructions, step-by-step -step instructions through the application. And once the test is completed, the test will communicate with the smartphone app and share the results so that you're able to read them using your accessible technology on your own device. So that's, that's two major hurdles, knowing what the instructions are and being able to uh, receive and understand the test results. But we know that because it requires a smartphone that this is not a solution that will work for everyone. Uh, certainly if folks don't have access to broadband, if folks, uh, I'm, I'm gonna tease her a little bit, but if you're like our convention coordinator, Janet Dickelman, <laughs> and you just don't really care for your smartphone, uh, you know, this may make it more difficult to do. So we really wanna keep pressing them to make, uh, to make tests from the beginning accessible for everyone, and not only COVID tests, pregnancy tests, which have been inaccessible for our ACB women and others for decades. Um, other forms of at-home diagnostic tests. 
There's no reason for people with disabilities to be able to take advantage of these at-home diagnostic services, especially when our folks in suburban and rural parts of the country have so many barriers to transportation that make it difficult to get to and from the doctor's office to do these sorts of tests in person. So please stay tuned. We, we are excited about the progress that has been made, but we know that this is a journey and we are only taking those first steps. Another area of focus in conjunction with the Get Up and Get Moving campaign, which I'm excited that the ACB Board of Directors has decided, along with President Dan Spoon, should become a full committee within ACB and part of our advocacy steering committee. A couple items here. The Medical Device Non-Visual Accessibility Act, HR 4853, one of our legislative imperatives for 2022. Uh, I'm happy to say that with all of the hard work that you all have been putting in contacting your members of Congress in the House of Representatives, we are now over 58 co-sponsors it is a bipartisan bill. There are three Republican co-sponsors of this bill, and we are continuing to uh, reach out to offices and encourage additional co-sponsors. At the same time, both ACB and NFB are working together with some Senate offices to introduce a Senate companion bill. So we are in that process right now uh, the bill is with Legislative Council as they refine the language of the bill so that it's more to their liking, but also we want to have a discussion draft that we can take to Republican senators as well, because our goal is for this bill to be bipartisan, just like the House version of the Medical Device Non-Visual Accessibility Act. And similar to making accessible COVID tests, this legislation would require that any sort of durable medical equipment, diagnostic equipment uh, to be used in the home or to be used by a patient in a clinical or assisted living setting, that it is accessible to people with disabilities, uh, people with vision loss. So tactile user interfaces, audio output. You know, this is a high priority for uh, President Tom Tobin and ACB Diabetics in Action. It's something that over my three years at ACB, it was one of the first issues that was brought to my attention saying we need to, we need to get something done here. So we're, we're continuing to work on that and having this bill and growing support for this bill is a, a great step forward. Also, we don't want accessibility to begin in the health and wellness space only once folks have acquired a chronic or comorbid uh, disease or illness, right? We want folks to have the tools and resources to be able to manage their health, to be able to take charge of their medical conditions and do so privately and independently. And that's why ACB, along with several of our partners like the National Council on Independent Living and Paralyzed Veterans of America, 
are working in the Coalition for Inclusive Fitness. And we are reaching out to gyms and facility providers, encouraging them to put pressure on exercise equipment manufacturers to make their, uh, their machines and their equipment accessible. Because no one will argue that a gym itself or a hotel fitness center itself needs to be accessible for people with disabilities. You'll have a ramp to get in the door, you'll have an elevator, you'll have a zero entry shower, nice wide, nice wide aisles between equipment, but then as soon as you step on that treadmill, that's where the accessibility stops, right? <laughs> and that's not good enough. That's not good enough for any of you in this room. That's not good enough for the folks up here on the dais. And that's not good enough for the broader community of people who are blind. So we were very excited last year when Planet Fitness committed to purchasing accessible exercise equipment. This will take some time because manufacturers still need to make this equipment. We are encouraging other gyms, hotel chains, to do the same, and at the same time, we are working directly with manufacturers as well. So in, in April, ACB members had the opportunity, uh, those from the, the, the Greater New York City chapter, to go and provide user testing and feedback at the Peloton headquarters in Manhattan on the accessible user interface and controls of their treadmill. Uh, and also, as Satana Howery, ACB member, uh, of the Information Access Committee and Audio Description Project shared at the Information Access 411 earlier this week, we've also been doing some user testing and providing feedback to a company called Concept2. And we're excited that tomorrow, ACB and Concept2 will have a joint statement announcing that Concept2 is rolling out their smartphone application that will allow people who are blind to use an accessible application that you can connect to their equipment. And once it's connected, not only will you have audio feedback in real time during your workout for your distance, your pace, your calories, your heart rate, but you will be able to program the workout that you want to do. So it's not just one-way communication, it is two-way communication with the equipment. All right, I'm glad that's getting folks happy and excited here. Um, and once you have that data, you can also sync it to other health applications so you can track over time the progress that you're making. You, know, you can be uh, super on top of it, like ACB board member Jeff Bishop, who is, who is well on his fitness journey, and actually during this convention, he's kicking my butt in a fitness challenge. But he, you know, he's remote, and I'm here with you all, so I think I'm winning in the long run. <laughs> so this is also more work that will continue um, you know, with our partners in the, in the federal government and also with our partners in the corporate space. Uh, next, I'd like to turn it over to Swatha to talk about the, the priority, legislative and regulatory, that has been occupying the vast majority of our time here in, in over the past year. Yeah, so as Clark mentioned, um, 
our party this year is accessibility. So, um, as we all know, the web is not accessible to us. It's not always, um, not every site is built to accommodate the screen reader or to, um, for keyboard navigation. So we are, it's a, it's a very big priority, priority for us this year. Um, ACB has been working with our partners in the disability rights space. So um, NFB, American Foundation for the Blind, um, National Disability Rights Network, um, and Disability Education and Defense Fund on um, a two-pronged approach to web, 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 access, web access. So one, um, we're working with the Department of Justice to um, promulgate regulations for this pur purpose, so to um, make, <laughs> for rulemaking on how websites are accessible to blind and low-vision users, and also to other disability groups, so um, speech disabilities, physical disabilities, um, mental disabilities. Um, so as of now, the DOJ has um, put out guidance on accessible um, websites, but we want more. We want, we want, we want them to actually make, 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 make um, regulations, not just um, guidance. So we can, we continue to work on this issue. Um, ACB was among um, 181 organizations that signed onto a letter to urge the DOJ to make this a reality. Um, and that kind of all of those 20 orgs um, include, include many of our affiliates. So ACB of um, California, ACB of Texas, all those um, signed onto the letter as well. Um, we also have support from the blue space. So um, you mentioned um, all kinds of disabilities are included, are included on, on this approach. So it's school, mental, hearing, um, speech, they're all there. And so we are working with, we're working with that. Um, we're also working with um, Senator Duck of Illinois to introduce, introduce a bill on this issue. And we've been, we've been drafting, 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 drafting the bill um, for over a year. And we are excited to um, work with her and her staff to get this um, bill dropped and get um, somewhere in this journey with um, legislation. So. Thank you, Swatha. And, and the only thing I would add, Swatha, is that is Senator Duckworth from the great state of Illinois. Of Illinois. Not only Swatha's <laughs> home state, but home of the, the Illinois Council. And I know we've got some folks. I've already heard Ray Campbell yeah. in the room here this morning. So. Yeah, so, and again, uh, this wouldn't be possible without the efforts of everyone in this room, all of our affiliates, everyone like Swatha said, who signed on to that letter back in February. And we are being heard on this issue. You know, we've, we've talked with folks in the, in the White House, um, within Department of Justice, Health and Human Services, Department of Education, and they hear us. Not only do they hear us, but the members of Congress hear us as well. Mm -hmm. And they have been sending letters recently to the Department of Justice, urging them to move forward as well. 
So Senator Duckworth led a letter along with Senator Durbin uh, in, in total with 10 signatories. Senator Schatz from Hawaii led a letter with 12 senators signed on pushing for this. And we are working with a member of the House of Representatives to do a broad sign-on letter uh, urging them to move forward with regulations as well. And on the legislative front, like Swatha said, we are getting very close. We're hopeful that we'll have bills by the end of summer. Uh, and when that happens, we will need all of our members, all of our friends and affiliates to contact their members of Congress and urge co-sponsors, build support. Uh, we, we cannot let this issue go away quietly. We need to maintain its profile. Now, they have a lot of priorities. Uh, not all priorities are created equally, so we need to ensure that this is a top priority for Congress and for the administration so we can get something done by the end of the current administration. The last item that we'd like to highlight is voting. Voting, voting, voting. And that was me, that wasn't an echo in the room. Uh, okay. <laughs> no, I, I'm kidding. I, I know, please, let's have a round of applause for uh, Rick Morin and Larry Gasman and everyone working on the, the technical side here, you know, building the plane while we fly it in our first ever hybrid convention. Uh, not only are they making us sound great here today, they make us sound great on a weekly basis with the Advocacy Update podcast, mm. with ACB Media, and all the work that they do behind the scenes. So a big thank you to them. So voting. Uh, Twelve states now allow people who are blind and people who are print disabled to receive, mark, verify, and return their absentee ballots electronically. Mm. Most recently, <laughs> through passing legislation, Massachusetts and Rhode Island just made this possible. Through uh, legal advocacy last year, North Carolina became the first state with a successful court ruling saying that if this sort of service is offered to other voters, mainly military and overseas voters, then it must also be available to people with disabilities. And that is uh, groundbreaking in the, the legal landscape. These are 12 out of 32 states that allow it for uniform in, 234? Yeah, exactly. Over 30 states that allow it for uniform military and overseas voters. So there's still a lot of work to be done. And we know that many of our affiliates, including California, Florida, Indiana, uh, New Jersey, Oregon, and others are actively working on voting rights and voting accessibility. But I think there are also other states where we can make a lot of headway, states where uh, members of the military and overseas voters already have the ability to receive, mark, verify, and return an absentee ballot electronically. 
but voters with disabilities don't have that same right. So thinking of states like Arizona, Iowa, Washington, South Carolina, and even the great state of our host committee, Nebraska. I think these are all fertile ground for advocacy efforts when it comes to making uh, remote voting more accessible. And this is something that remains a priority for us as we know it remains a priority for you all. Not every four years, not every two years, but always. You know, we, we need access to the ballot box. We need the ability to raise our voice and exercise our democratic rights. So in closing, um, I would just like to say thank you. Thank you to all of you for the advocacy work that you do. And a big thank you to our affiliate leadership, our presidents, all of our uh, advocacy and legislative chairs who are active on these issues and many more at the state and local level. But also thank you to our advocacy steering committee. Uh, we've, we have a lot of great folks from our board, from our memberships and our affiliates who are actively engaged, as you can tell by the convention programming this week, whether it's transportation and pedestrian and environmental access, or it's information access. Uh, Lord knows the resolutions committee has put in their time over the past <laughs> few months, and I, I'm sure they've got some, some busy days and nights ahead of them. Oh, but you know, Swatha and I, we can't do this alone. We don't want to do this alone. You know, there are over 20 resolutions coming forward this year. There are 30 resolutions last year. And we, we need all of ACB to be engaged with our advocacy efforts. We need our members, our affiliates, our committees to help uh, carry the burden join us in the advocacy efforts and move these issues forward. Uh, Swatha, for folks who would like to learn more about our advocacy efforts, what are some of the ways that they can do that? Yeah, so they can email us at advocacy at, advocacy at acb.org or they can call us, or rather me, at 202-467-5081. We've got a podcast that Clark mentioned. We put out like every every week or so. Um, we've also got um, information 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 online for our members and others to learn about our efforts. So join join us. Yes, and also the uh, dots and dashes newsletter often has advocacy updates as well as the Washington Connection phone service and both of those are made possible by our great ACB editor Sharon Lovering mm -hmm. and uh, ACB's social media often has advocacy related topics and information so whether it's uh, tweets on Twitter posts on Facebook or live videos on Facebook Live and YouTube Live. We couldn't do those without our communications specialist, Kelly Gask. So of course, a big thank you to Kelly and to Sharon for all the work that they do to make Swatha and me look good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
And as, as we wrap up here, as, as Swatha mentioned, the podcast, the Advocacy Update podcast, which you can find on ACV Media or via your favorite podcast player. Please download, subscribe, rate, and review. Uh, but we always close the podcast a certain way, and I'd like to have everyone here in the room and everyone on ACB Media and Zoom join Swatha in uh, closing out our presentation like we do our podcasts. Keep advocating. Keep advocating is right. We have time for a couple of questions, so if you have a question, we'll take one from the, in the audience and one from Zoom. So we'll do the live audience first. If you have a question, please question. Raise your hand. Thank you. This is Christy Crespin from Highland, California. Oh, okay. And I thank you, uh, Swatha and Clark, for your presentation and for doing the wonderful work that you're doing. And um, I'm wondering where we are on the accessible currency front. Thank you. Oh, uh, Swatha, look at the time. I think we have that 9.30 that we need to go to. <laughs> that one might take all day to answer. <laughs> so accessible currency. Yeah. Uh, un unfortunately, we are no further along than we were since the, uh, the injunctive ruling, or excuse me, the, the ruling from 2008. Um, so the court said that when the federal government uh, updates or modifies the paper currency that it has to be made accessible. Well, they haven't updated or modified the currency since 2008, and there's no time mechanism to enforce them to do so. We were very excited that in the Biden administration's uh, platform, campaign platform, that there was uh, language expressing their desire to update the $20 bill by 2024 and modify it to include a portrait of Harriet Tubman. And this, this got a lot of notoriety, especially in 2021, mm -hmm. and a lot of reporters were accurately noting that for this to happen, the $20 bill would also need to be made accessible mm -hmm. for people who are blind and low vision, which we are very supportive of. And I'm, I'm excited that the Advocacy Steering Committee uh, recommended to the Board of Directors that in conjunction with the DC Leadership Conference in 2023, that we should hold a rally at the US Treasury mm. to ensure that they know that this remains a top priority. And I'm excited that this is not only a priority for people who are blind and low vision, but this is a priority for women. This is a priority for people of color. So I think we can have broad support for this issue. Yeah. And then the only thing I'll, additionally I'll add, so we're talking about paper currency, right? Uh, but there are a lot of online services, especially with the, the rapid growth and, and fall of cryptocurrencies for online, you know, virtual only uh, banking platforms. And many of these newly emerging ones are not accessible. And this gets to the website accessibility issue that Swatha talked about, but it also gets to financial independence and security. So we're looking at that very closely as well 
because we don't want these new services, these new offerings to come along that are just as inaccessible as paper currency. Yeah. And hey. I was told that we can't take questions from Zoom, so does somebody else Can in the audience have another quick question? Yes. Hey, this is Michael Talley helping run the microphone. So I had to, one request of, can you please repeat the email address and the phone number? And then Triple G has one question if you have time. So the email for us is advocacy, advocacy. So A-D-V-O-C-A-C-Y at acb.org. And the number is 202-467-5081. Uh, Clark and Swatha, real quick, uh, I'm encouraged that more and more uh, exercise equipment is, this is Greg from Waukesha, Wisconsin, by the way, I'm encouraged that more and more exercise equipment is coming at a lesser, um, hopefully, expense, because Peloton is very expensive, and it is my firm belief that just because of accessibility, we shouldn't have to pay more for exercise equipment that we can use. So I'm wondering, um, have you had conversations on that front, on the expensive exercise equipment and um, for uh, people who are blind and visually impaired and uh, what other companies might be signing on? Sure. Yeah, no, I'll take this question. Thank you for that, Greg. And, and I agree with you. And exercise equipment's like a car. You can spend as much or as little as you want to. Uh, one thing that we are ensuring is that no company is charging more for accessibility. It will not cost a blind person more than it costs somebody else to use the products of a given provider. Uh, but we are also trying to reach out to any number of equipment providers to ensure that their products and services are accessible. Uh, one thing that we are noticing is that, much like many other sectors, exercise and fitness equipment are going to smart and connected uh, pieces of equipment. And this is, this is good and bad, right? It raises the price, but it offers more capabilities. Many of these user interfaces operate on uh, like an Android smartphone or tablet because, well, they are an Android tablet. But being so, we know that accessibility is included in the operating system. It's just a matter of making them aware of it so that they can engage that part of the software to make it accessible. Uh, as we conduct this outreach, we are also talking with other providers of equipment that is not smart or is not connected. And there are actually industry standards, um, ASTM standards for tactile user interfaces and audio output. So we don't have regulations in this place, but consensus industry standards are a great place to begin and we're working to make more companies aware of those so, so that we do have options and we do have choice and we don't only need to purchase the Cadillac of exercise equipment, right? So that's, that's what we're hoping to accomplish here. Thank you. Let's uh, thank Clark and Swatha for this wonderful, wonderful advocacy updates.
Next, we're going to hear from the man who I like to fondly call Mr. Money because he keeps us in line financially to hear an update on where we are financially. We give you, I give you David Trott from Talladega, Alabama, who is our ACB treasurer. American Council of the Blind logo, Treasurer's Report, David Trott, Talladega, Alabama. American Council of the Blind Treasurer's Report Narrative from the 2021 Audited Financial Statements. 2021 surplus, $454,984. ACB's revenue was $1,476,620. Revenue was about $274,000, I'm sorry, $247,300 above budget. ACB used various communications channels in 2021 to help us reach a wider audience leading to 60 for 60 campaign a fun and MMS being successful. Revenue from these projects was $178,900. ACB implemented a strategic communications plan in 2021 along with an editorial calendar. ACB Radio was rebranded as the ACB Media Network with significant focus on podcast distribution of ACB's programs and streaming over Alexa-enabled devices. ACB Media provided support for many of our affiliates. Conventions for community events using ACB Media Channel 5, which ran 25 unique events each week and provided recorded Podcasts for on-demand listening. Individuals and affiliates showed their appreciation for these services by donating $19,000. The two virtual ADP institutes were successful. Participants received instructions in audio description and then completed a group project during the breakout sessions. Revenue was $36,000. Expenses were $8,700, and the net was $27,300. The audio description gala was introduced in 2021 to raise funds to support ACB's audio description project, ADP, and honor the significant achievements in media, as well as to recognize the best of television, streaming, and film industries. uh, commitment to accessible media for the blind and low vision audience. Gala revenue was $66,200. Expenses were $27,100 and the net was $39,100. The audio description project held Descriptathons 6 and 7 which promoted accessibility of audio description in the national parks and this was completed in partnership with the National Park Service and the University of Hawaii. The scholarship program provided over $97,000 in scholarships to 24 students with 
the scholarships ranging from $500 to $7,500. ACB partnered with several affiliate organizations and the American Foundation for the Blind, AFB, to offer these educational scholarships. Other award programs, such as J.P. Morgan Chase Leadership Fellows and the DKM First Timer Awards, fostered future leaders through mentoring, training, and peer development. The legislative seminar was held virtually for the first time in 2021, allowing for many individuals the opportunity to participate, whether it was by attending just one seminar or many throughout the session. It also allowed for more individuals to advocate by being able to set up virtual meetings at the national level. Revenue was $24,500. Membership increased over the previous year with growth in individual membership and special interest affiliates. While state affiliates struggle during the pandemic, 2021 membership revenue was $49,800, providing community events, offering membership discounts, and building connections with our community. Helped mem member engagement, ACB worked to strengthen state and special interest affiliates through one-on-one <clears throat> -on -one support, formalized training, and daily activities held by Zoom throughout ACB's community platform. Volunteer leaders learned how to host and manage over 4,200 community events, ranging from social to educational, peer support, and topic-driven. In 2021, members contributed more than 42,000 volunteer hours Many of ACB's fundraising activities far exceeded expectations, including convention, auction, holiday auction, the Brenda Dillon Memorial Walk, mini mall sales, and the Braille Forum Raffle. Holding the auctions virtually gave many individuals the opportunity to participate, which led to a significant increase over prior years. Revenue for the fundraisers was $194,000. Expenses were $33,600 with a net of $160,400. Dividend income was $102,000, which exceeded the budget by $29,000. ACB advocated expanding health care protections, and access for the COVID-19 vaccine uh, testing, increasing access to accessible absentee voting, advocated for greater availability of audio description video content, and promoting pedestrian safety through the installation of accessible pedestrian signals. The process for this advocacy work were $59,000.
the first PPP loan was to ACB for 2020 was forgiven in 2021 resulting in a budget recognition in 2021. In 2021, ACB applied for employee retention credit to receive a refund for some of the employees' taxes that were paid in 2020. ACB recognized $52,600 in 2021 when the application was made. ACB's expenses was $1,858,281. Actual expenses were $96,400 below budget. Wages and benefits were $1,026,700 in 2021. There were three staff positions added. The manager of communications, the audio description coordinator and grant writer, and membership services administrative assistant. The manager of communications position was essential to using to unifying ACB's branding and messaging of all internal and external ACB communications. The grant writer contract position was converted to an ACB staff position with the added responsibility of coordinating the needs of the audio description project. ACB received grants in 2021 from the National Park Service, Delta Gamma Foundation, Washington Aid Association, the Gibney Foundation, and the and Google for audio describing national parks. The membership services administrative assistant position was possible because of a grant ACB received, and this person was instrumental in providing oversight of the community event schedule and membership support. ACB's website environment received a long overdue upgrade and the location where the data was stored moved to Microsoft's cloud which is Azure. The ADP's website started a much needed redesign and this will be completed in 2022. Actual expenses were $66,000. The budget was 50100 There was an opportunity. There was an operations deficit of $381,660. Thrift stores income was $368,400. The coronavirus continued to have a economic impact on retail in 2021. While the thrift store's con contribution was slightly below budget, the store's employees and managers did a great job providing customer service while ensuring the health and safety for everyone. The thrift stores also applied for the employee 
retention credit and $82,600 was recognized in 2021. The first PPP loan for the thrift stores was forgiven, so the revenue was recognized in 2021. Convention profit was $249,900. There were over 150 workshops, seminars, and business meetings held throughout the convention where individuals participated by attending sessions live or listening later by podcast. There was a virtual exhibit hall and many virtual tours for registrants to attend. Once again, attendees saw the value of the AC, of ACB providing and supported ACB by becoming individual sponsors. Individual sponsorships came to $28,100, an increase of 44% over the last year. Corporate sponsors were $282,000, and they increased almost 22% over 2020. There were 12 corporate sponsors who continued to sponsor ACB's convention since 2016, and four new sponsors were added in 2021. This was also the first time all members had the opportunity to participate in elections. During the business meeting, each member was provided with a unique voter code, and members were able to vote using their cell phones, computers, tablets, or landline phone. Utilize unrealized gains of ACB's investments was 218,345. ACB's investment portfolio was $5,500,000 in December 2021, and the value of your investment increased $477,500. The rate of return on our investments ranges from 9.48% to 11.65%, which is where the funds should be based on their risk level. ACB's investments are in three different accounts. The value of each account's investment were the legacy fund, $2,058,000. Each year, the board approves a portion of these funds to be used to meet operating expenses for the following year. The endowed funds were $1,545,700. Portions of these funds are used for scholarships each year. The reserve fund was $1,896,300 and these funds need board approval to be withdrawn. If you would like to have additional information pertaining to the financial statements, please contact David Trott, ACB Treasurer. A logo, ACB in print and braille, American Council of the Blind, together for a bright future. All right, so next, 
We're going to, you heard from our first group of ACB scholarship winners yesterday, and today you're going to get to hear from our three CCLVI, or Council on Citizens with Low Vision International, for anyone who doesn't know that acronym, um, scholarship presentations. CCLVI presents Fred Scheigert, scholarship winner. Faith Norby, a smiling white woman with long dark hair. Ralph Smitherman, CCLVI presenter. Hello everyone, my name is Ralph Smitherman and we will be talking with Faith Norby, the Fred Scheigert Incoming Freshman Scholarship winner associated with the Council of Citizens with Low Vision International, which we call CCLVI. Congratulations, Faith. We know that you are a very busy young lady. So, tell us where you live. Faith Norby, Fred Scheigert Scholarship winner. I currently live in Manning, North Dakota in southwestern North Dakota. I imagine that it gets very cold during the winter. Yes, it definitely gets really cold, especially, um, yeah, in the, it, honestly, all winter long, it can get very cold, and it's, it's not the best, but um, I, lo I love living in North, North Dakota, so we, we deal with it. Okay, that's great. Do you have any brothers and sisters? Yes, I actually have two siblings. My, I have a younger brother who is currently a freshman, and then I ha also have a younger sister who is a fifth grader. Where did you attend high school? I attended Kildare Public School, which is um, the, the closest school to Manning. Manning doesn't have a school, so I go to Kildare. Okay. This fall, which college do you plan to attend? I am planning to attend the University of Mary in Bismarck, North Dakota. Okay. What will be your main field of study? So this fall, as I'm attending the University of Mary, I will be um, majoring in English education and minoring in special education. That is excellent. Outside the classroom, what are some of your interests? I would say outside of the classroom, I generally, I really love to read. So that's one of my hobbies that I spend a lot of time on. I also am involved in several different organizations. Um, well, in school, I was in multiple extracurriculars, but currently what I'm doing right now, I'm also involved in 4-H and then and showing sheet for 4-H and also the National FFA Association. I'm a FFA member and that is one of my biggest passions and something that I really spend a lot of time working on. Do you feel you have accomplished what you want to in high school and looking forward, do you think you'll, and looking forward, do you think your field of study will accomplish your goals? I definitely feel that I have accomplished all of my go goals that I set for myself as I went through high school. I actually just graduated valedictorian of my high school, which was a really big accomplishment, something that I've been working for since my freshman year of high school. So I was very proud of that. And I definitely feel that the education I received is really going to help me as I continue to further my education at the University of Mary. And I really, you Mary really does have a great English department and education department. So I truly feel that it is going to give me the skills and knowledge that I need to be an effective English teacher after I graduate college. 
Thank you, Faith, for taking your time to speak with us today. We are glad you could attend the 2022 ACB Conference and Convention. Congratulations again on being selected for the Fred Scheigert Incoming Freshman Scholarship Award. A logo, ACB, in print and braille, American Council of the Blind, together for a bright future. CCLVI presents Fred Scheigert, scholarship winner. Grace Patterson, a grinning white woman with short blonde hair and wearing glasses. Kathy Farina, CCLVI presenter. Hi, Grace. Hi, how are you? I'm doing well, thanks. How are you? Good. Good. Well, we're here to talk about our um, Fred Scheigert scholarship, um, which, um, you know, you've won the undergraduate scholarship. And uh, so I'd like you to tell us a little bit about yourself and how you, what you're majoring in and how you got interested in the field of study you're in. Grace Patterson, Fred Scheigert Scholarship winner. Sure. So my name is Grace Patterson, and I am currently a sophomore at Florida Atlantic University's Wilkes Honors College. I'm currently double majoring in English and law, and I've just added a business administration minor. I became interested in the legal fields because I've seen the kind of discrimination that um, not only the blind and visually impaired community has faced, but the entire mental and, and physically handicapped community. And I believe that with my experiences as a disabled American, I can enhance the legal field and hopefully create more equal opportunity for those with disabilities under the law. And how did you first become, I mean, was it, was it when you were in high school or how did you first become interested in law? What, what got you into it? Uh, I've wanted to be an attorney since about the fourth through fifth grade. Um, because I've been watching a lot of true crime episodes and or at the time, and I really got interested in that and um, kind of discovered the career in that sense. But I really didn't understand what the career entailed until probably about high school when I really um, became invested in that career path. Can you tell us a little bit about that program you were in in high school where you were, um, it was actually a, like a court, um, you got to kind of play the part of an attorney, right? Yes. So in high school, I volunteered at a St. Petersburg college or uh, judicial courthouse um, where I was able to work directly with state attorneys in a program called Teen Court, where uh, teenage misdemeanor uh, criminals would come in and kind of play out a trial, but the uh, criminal record wouldn't go on their permanent record. Um, so us volunteers would kind of act as the attorneys and the jurors in that case. And we would get that legal experience, and it would also be um, beneficial to the community because it would be a reform program for those juveniles. Uh -huh. Wow, that's interesting. And I'm, I'm sure that, that uh, kind of catapulted you into a more uh, specific interest in the career. So that's great. Definitely. Um, tell, tell, us a, tell us something about yourself that you'd like us to know that we, we haven't already learned? Um, I would like the community to know that I am a current model United Nations delegate, and I've just competed in two national competitions, both in Manhattan and Washington, D.C., where my university placed first in both. And as a delegate, you have to um, maintain a kind of diplomacy with the other delegates and international students around 
not only the United States, but across the world, and hopefully come to real-world solutions to the issues that the real United Nations is dealing with on a current basis. Hmm. That's interesting. You must meet people from all over the country then. Definitely. Yeah. Very good. And you're from where? I am from St. Petersburg, which is kind of near Tampa in Florida. But I attend college in Jupiter, Florida. Uh-huh. And which, what's the name of the college again that, you, that you're in? Uh, I'm in the Wilkes Honors College at Florida Atlantic University. Well, we're glad that you joined us today. And um, we wish you well and hope that um, you are successful in your future endeavors. I think you will be. Uh, <laughs> and we're glad that you participated. And we're glad we were able to help you with, you know, further your career. Thank you so much for having me. That's, that's very nice. Thank you. A logo, ACB in print and braille, American Council of the Blind, together for a bright future. CCLVI presents Fred Scheiger, scholarship winner. Yael Medley, a round-faced grinning white woman with dark hair. Brian Petrites, CCLVI presenter. Hi, my name is Brian Petrates, and I am the chair of the graduate committee for CCLVI scholarship program and I have the great opportunity to introduce Yael Medley who was this year's 2022 graduate scholarship winner. Congratulations Yael, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yael Medley, Fred Scheigert scholarship winner. Um, thank you. Um, so um, I'm a chemistry PhD student at Florida State University. Um, I live in Florida um, and I really love teaching organic chemistry. So after I graduate, I'm hoping to become an organic chemistry professor at a small college. And um, as you mentioned, um, I won the Fred Schreiger scholarship from the Council of Citizens of Low Vision International. And I'd like to thank them because I'm very happy and very appreciative um, for winning this scholarship. Well, thank you. Organic chemistry is quite the, uh, the master's program. What drew you into that field? Um, I just find it very interesting and um, I really enjoy teaching it. Basically, uh, I tutored organic chemistry for several years and I think it's a very interesting subject and something I really love sharing with students and um, helping to explain how to solve problems. Um, basically, it's just, one of the most interesting subjects that I've ever uh, experienced. Well, yeah, organic chemistry is quite the major and quite the, uh, the plan of study. Can you explain a little bit about what organic chemistry actually is? Yeah. So organic chemistry um, involves studying compounds that contain carbon and hydrogen and the reactions that these compounds undergo. So most molecules in your body or in the world actually are organic compounds. Um, so anytime you're dealing with more complicated compounds, it's, it's going to be organic chemistry. And so it's, it's actually a very large field of chemistry uh, that deals with reactions uh, of these compounds. Yeah. Why don't you tell us something that uh, very few people know about you? Um, so one thing which 
maybe not a lot of people know is that I like doing things outdoors, um, like kayaking, camping, hiking, swimming, anything like that. I really enjoy being outside. Well, Yael, that's quite quite the story, and I know you're going to make quite the difference in so many students' lives as they learn a very, very difficult subject. So thank you for taking the time to empower and inspire the future generations through your, your teachings in organic chemistry. And again, it's quite the honor to be able to present you as the 2022 graduate scholarship winner for CCLVI. Thank you. A logo, ACB, in print and braille, American Council of the Blind, together for a bright future. You've had an opportunity this week to meet, begin to meet our ACB scholarship winners. And so right now we are going to present the second segment of our winners so that you get to learn a little more about them. The American Council of the Blind, ACB, and the American Foundation for the Blind, AFB are again partnering together to offer educational scholarships ranging from $2,500 to $7,500 for legally blind students. Congratulations to our 2022 scholarship recipients. Brody Enoch is from New York, New York. He is a post-secondary student returning to school after an absence and is pursuing a law degree. This fall, he will be attending City University of New York School of Law. Brody is receiving the Fiorito and Dillman Scholarship. A bald black man with a mustache and goatee. Uh, it's, it's, it's been a long progress. I started out as a political scientist. I figured I would, uh, I wanted to know how the world worked. And then I went and I received my master's degree in social work because I figured, you know, I'd have to help. I want to help people. And it, everything I've done over the last 15 plus years, 20 years, has always come back to me sitting in a room with an attorney telling me what I can or can't do. So I figured I'm going to cut out the middleman and just become the attorney myself. Tatiana Tolliver Hughes is from Dunbar, West Virginia. She is an entering freshman interested in pursuing a degree in philosophical law and policy. This fall, she will be attending Washington University in St. Louis, Missouri. Tatiana is receiving the Dillman Scholarship. A black woman with long braided hair. Uh, so what got me interested in my field of study is just uh, kind of overcoming little prejudices every day, uh, being a black blind woman in America and just being surrounded by family members in similar situations, I was able to uh, notice just the little disadvantages uh, compared to, you know, some of my other peers, some of my fully able peers, some of my white peers, just um, issues that were kind of laid down in the laws of our country and our civil rights. So I was really inspired to examine those and fight to make sure just basically fight oppression overall. Julia Murray is from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. She is an entering freshman interested in pursuing a degree in exercise science, preoccupational therapy. This fall, she will be attending Slippery Rock University in Slippery Rock, Pennsylvania. Julia is receiving the Social Work Rehabilitation and Teaching Subcommittee Floyd Walls Scholarship. 
a fair-skinned white woman. So I think the largest thing that made me interested in occupational therapy is all the supports that I've had growing up. So I've worked with many people that helped me access the world around me as a deafblind person. I both have a hearing and vision loss. I wear cochlear implants. So I've had a vision teacher, hearing teacher, and an intervener who have worked with me. And my mom was also a huge advocate in my life. So I wanted to do the same for other people. So I think that's the main thing that has really inspired me to want to become an occupational therapist. And I love how occupational therapists are, what I like to say, daily driven. So they work with patients or clients with daily living skills, if it's motor skills or basically anything that they would need on the daily to access the world around them. So I think that's probably the biggest thing that has inspired me to go into occupational therapy. Hussein Hussein is from Austin, Texas, but is originally from Iraq. He is a graduate student pursuing a master's degree in social work. This fall, he will be attending the University of Texas in Austin, Texas. Kusei is receiving the Dillman Scholarship. A Middle Eastern man wearing dark glasses. What got me to my field of study, uh, I was accepted to psychology and during my, doing my psychology, I find that there are something missing uh, from the psychology. Um, so... I met a classmate and she was telling me about my, the School of Social Work. And I said, well, let me check it out and see. So I applied for it and to do dual degree. So I got accepted and I found like the social work, it have more interact with people. Um, so that's what got me to uh, my field of study. Brody Enoch. Interestingly enough, I, I could I could I could pin, I could use one of my academic achievements. I can say the fact that I ran for city council didn't win. I could say that I'm an elected official. I can say that I was able to start my own not-for-profit that advocates for pedestrian safety and housing for the visually impaired. I could say all of that, but I think what I'm most proud of is the fact that. I've learned to use my cane in a manner so that I can actually tap people in their ankles just hard enough so they know I'm there, but not hard enough to hurt them. And if you use a cane, you know exactly what I mean, because people get in the way all the time. So my biggest accomplishment is that I'm able to navigate through people and get where I'm going. Julia Murray. I would have to say my greatest accomplishment is joining the Pittsburgh Rhinos blind ice hockey team. It's a new sport here in the United States. Started in 2015. So Pittsburgh introduced its first blind ice hockey team in 2015-2016. And I remember when I was younger, I could not figure out how to ice skate, especially because my balance is not the best. So I felt ice skating was just never a strength for me. So when uh, somebody tried to convince me to join the 
point ice hockey team, I was like, yeah, not sure about that, you know, just because of my skating. But I tried it. And after like a couple like practices, I fell in love with it. And I realized that after like practicing, I can gain the skills needed for skating and definitely gone better over time. So I would definitely say the greatest accomplishment for me is playing blind ice hockey. And I love the sport. It's such an awesome sport. So. Tatiana Tolliver Hughes. Uh, my greatest accomplishment would have to be uh, getting mentoring visually impaired kids. Uh, when I was younger, I really wish that I had an older role model, someone who had kind of gone through the school system and had uh, struggled with advocating for accommodations and things like that to just kind of vent to and help guide me along the way. So it's been such a blessing that I've been able to do that for other kids and just help them pave their path a little easier. Kusei Hussein. Well, I, I kind of have three accomplishments, but the most uh, recent one, I got accepted to the BHD, um, Art School of Social Work in the University of Texas. But uh, I got also um, achieved the Presidential Achieve Award, uh, this highest in the university uh, from Austin Community College. And then this bus. Actually, Saturday, I got to uh, be the keynote speaker for the graduation um, of a class 2022. So that is a huge from like among of the 55,000 students. So, Brody. The people might not know about me. Well, I play adaptive baseball. I'm an athlete. I, I'm a musician. I play in a couple of bands. I, I sing badly, but, I, but that doesn't stop me. Um, uh, I am a father of three. I, uh, all of my children have multiple degrees, so I'm really just trying to, to keep up with them. Julia. So I definitely think being a blind ice hockey player is one thing that a lot of people don't know. And I would also say a lot of people don't know that I love to ski. Um, it's like one of my favorite activities to do i've been doing it since i was nine years old and i just love being up on the slopes and flying down the hill and things like that and um hitting all the black diamonds that i can and like challenging myself i would definitely think that's probably something that people don't know tatiana i i would say i'm kind of a triple threat when it comes to the arts um i was in show choir three out of four years in high school, so I am a singer, dancer, actress, and uh, I, I love the performing arts overall. <laughs> Kusei. I had 64 surgeries because uh, I was playing volleyball, uh, and it's uh, like, you know, with other, my team, and we got car bomb, we drove to the stadium, and the car blew himself, he is, he is inside the car. So one of the shrapnel, I flew to the air. When I flew to the air, like you could see people like flowing like birds, but it's a human. A car flew into the air like it's a big explosion. So when I come to the ground, my face touched uh, the ground before my body. So I reached and then my nose started bleeding. And I said, okay, like just my nose broke. Let me run and I could fix it later. So when I started running, Shabnal hit me 
exactly in the right uh, side of my skull and dropped half my skull right cheek in my nose. And after uh, that, I came to the ground slowly until I lay down. And my dad came to the stadium. He didn't recognize me because half of my face is gone. And then he took me to the small clinic that, uh, that time we have in the village. And then Dr. Sinisi saw me say, go ahead, take care of your other kids. Because I have two brothers injured with me as well. And I say half an hour, he will die. So they put me in a dad room where the people dead. Uh, they already put me there and they left me. And after six hours, my dad come to take me home. And the traditional in the Middle East, he watched the body and take it to the cemetery. So when he come and I heard his voice and I said, dad, don't leave me, I will die. And he starts shouting, say, oh my God, my son is still alive. And he put me in a car uh, with our neighbor, he just started driving, and in the way, we met American soldiers. When, say the, when they saw my injuries, they took me to their base for treatment, and I went in a coma for 12 days. That time, uh, because my family didn't hear nothing from me for 12 days, they did their funeral, they got the death certificate from the Iraqi government, and at later on, when I woke up, we tried to reach them. They didn't believe I was still alive. <laughs> and so it took a while, it took three days to convince them I'm still alive. A logo, ACB, in print and braille. American Council of the Blind, together for a bright future. Aren't these guys wonderful? Kusei's story is, is just amazing. Um, if you have a, it was just amazing to get to sit down and talk to him about his experiences in Iraq and you know, losing his vision and what that was like. And Brody, I don't know if you picked up on it, but Brody went back to school at age 67. So these, these, these students are amazing, uh, you know. You can't not want to be on the scholarship committee. It's just so much fun. All right. Every year at convention, we have one event, one speaker, who I bet everybody listens to who can. You know what that is? <laughs> Talking book narrator. That's right. See, I told you I get the best day because I get to introduce the talking book narrator. And this year is no exception. Our talking book narrator is somebody that probably most of us have heard read several books. He's been reading for a while. I'll let him tell you how long. Um, and has read some really good books. Please help me give a huge ACB welcome to Ray Fauché from the American Printing House for the Blind. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. I, um, first of all, I want to welcome all of you guys here and thank you for inviting me to come. That's, uh, 
it's always a privilege for me. I love to come out and, and visit with the people that uh, listen to my books. And uh, I know a lot of you have come a long way. I did, too, from Louisville, Kentucky. So uh, it's always fun to get together. It's really neat. Um, I think uh, they want me to kind of let you know how I got into this uh, uh, strange arrangement that I do now <laughs> uh, and talk a little bit about how it goes. And so let's uh, just go back and begin at the beginning. It was 1982, so we're talking 40 years ago now, which to me sounds like, uh, it sounds like a long time, but it seems like it, it's no time at all. But I was working for a local TV station in uh, Louisville, and I'd uh, been doing announcing there. That wasn't the only thing I did, but uh, I did that, and I got to know some of the other guys who were announcing at the time. Uh, I don't know if any of you go back this far, but uh, we had an announcer named Jerry Fordyce. Um, he, he read for the uh, printing house for the blind for a long time. And uh, he told me about what he did. And I was, complete, I was unaware of the printing house itself, much less what went on there. And he told me that uh, he uh, had been for many years narrating books. And that piqued my interest. I've always been a... Um, a huge reader uh, from the time I was a little kid with comic books and uh, Hardy Boys books. And uh, I, I wanted to find out more about this. And he said, well, if, you, if you'd be interested in doing that, uh, you should go over an audition. And I did. And uh, I passed the audition. It worked out well. And I managed to get the job. Uh, it's certainly not a full-time job. It was, it was a thing I did around uh, my, my normal thing. But uh, it was immediately one of the most fulfilling things. And uh, it quickly went from being a way for me to pick up a few extra dollars, especially because we had our daughter on the way at that time, uh, to being the highlight of my day whenever I did it. And uh, it, was, it, was, it was the beginning of a real change in the way I thought of myself in terms of what I do for a living. Uh, I would have told you at that point that I was a promotion manager for a TV station. But even though I spent most of my time doing that still, uh, it was the hours that I spent narrating books that started to uh, define to me who I was. And it started off interestingly because I had no idea how this procedure would go. I know a lot of people ask me how it works. How do you get the books? How long are the books? Um, how many books have you done? That type of thing. But what I realized first was that it was the uh, NLS, National Library Service, uh, they chose the books that would come to the printing house for our narrators to do. And then they'd be assigned to us based on what they thought our strengths were and not assigned to us based on what they thought our weaknesses were. And I found out quickly that process was very strange. They Immediately as a rookie, they started me out on Westerns. Um, and, and I'd never been a... Tremendous fan of westerns, but I found that yeah, they—it's not too hard to narrate a western, at least not for me. And uh, I kind of got into a rut there for a little bit. But then, very strange books started showing up for me. Um, I remember one called Bodoc the Badger. This was a book that was written about a badger. Uh, it was. If any of you have read Watership Down, it's sort of like that. All the characters are animals, 
And Bodoc is a badger, but he's not just a badger. That would have been okay. I can do a badger, sure. I, you know, I could do a rabbit. I can do anything. He's a Celtic, Celtic uh, badger. I, I, I realized my first challenge in doing narrating at that point because I'm stumped. How do you pronounce all this uh, Celtic? And that's where I learned the importance of the people you work with because uh, when we're narrating, we're not doing it alone. We're doing it with uh, our monitors. One-on-one, -on -one, spend a lot of time with these people. They're on the other side of the glass for the two-hour sessions that we do. And the monitors not only listen just to make sure that you don't slip up as you go or leave something out or misread a word, but they do so much of the research that there's no way I could do. Um, that's a full-time job, and, it, and for them, it is. Uh, you know, they work 40-hour weeks at the printing house. They monitor during part of that time, but they do research all the time. So I had to be taken by the hand, literally, and just walked through all of this Celtic. But I survived that. But it wasn't long after that I got another challenge. Um, I'll never understand how this book assignment worked out but uh, I'm sure all of you are familiar with Anne Rice. This is back in the early 80s, so Anne Rice hadn't become Anne Rice yet. I, I had no idea who she was when I'm assigned one of her books, and uh, that in itself wouldn't be very bad. You've read a lot of Anne Rice books, and they're pretty good. I'd like to, I'd like to narrate several of those. This was, uh, let's say, an erotic novel written in first person by a, an 18-year-old girl. <laughs> so for about three or 400 pages, I had to be that girl. Uh, that's when I got over any embarrassment I might have <laughs> in, in reading my books. And, and that's another thing that pretty much made my job a little bit easier. Uh, some people won't do certain types of books because uh, they don't, you know, they won't do certain subject matter. Uh, you hear the, the, the uh, disclaimers at the beginning of every book, you know, if a book contains uh, descriptions of sex, profanity, that kind of thing. Well, I, I don't know, maybe it was my upbringing, but uh, I've never had much problems with descriptions of sex or profanity. Uh, <laughs> as Gene Shepard once said, you know, his father worked in it like clay, and it was his medium. Uh, <laughs> And, 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 and I've been uh, a Gene Shepard fan, yeah. Uh, and so uh, that opened the floodgates for me and got me into the genre of books that probably I'm now best known for. And that would be detective novels, the hard-boiled uh, legal thrillers and things like that. I have loved those things all along. I, I just, just really have. And uh, I've also uh, been blessed, I guess, with the ability to do nonfiction as well as fiction. Some people are masters at nonfiction, but they don't, they don't have any feel for, uh, you know, the, for lack of a better word, acting that goes into, uh, into fiction. And then there, there are other people who are trained actors who that comes second nature to them, but, but for some reason, they don't have an affinity for the, uh, the nonfiction. But since I came in with no experience whatsoever, I just, I didn't know what I couldn't do, so I said, yeah, I, I can do all of that. So, 
So it worked out. And, and that's what I did. I've also found out, though, that it isn't just a question of going in and reading, which sounds pleasant enough, and it, it's not bad, but sitting in a chair for two hours and not moving and just reading can be a little bit physically stressful. But I also found out the, the nasty side of the coin, which is going back and doing corrections. Um, I thought the very first book that comes back, I was told, oh, we have your corrections. We're going to do those today. And this was from my first book. And we did do them that day. And we did them the next day. And we did them the day after that. And then I realized, you know, I should be more careful while I'm doing my reading <laughs> because the clock is running here. I'm not making any money off of this. But um, luckily, I have gotten to be uh, a whole lot I think more accurate in my read through the first time and and like I say a lot of this has to do with your monitor and how attentive they are if you and if you've got a good monitor you don't want to give them up they're just they're great and they're part of the whole team that makes it all come together uh, I did all this for about six years and I was a happy happy guy but uh, I wasn't really happy in my other job at that point and I left and went with uh, a, a different company uh, but the bad thing that happened to me at that point was that uh, I couldn't do any more narration uh, because the other job just took up too much of my time. It was pretty much of a dawn to dusk type thing. And I thought it was over. I thought in 1987, oh, that was, uh, that was nice. I, I'd done this. That was a really nice experience. And I'm finished. I'm not going to do this anymore. Uh, but after three years, I left that job and I went back to the TV station where things had changed. And uh, fortunately, I came back there, I was very happy there, and I was free again to do my narration. And I ran back to the American Printing House for the Blind and said, will you still use me? And they said, sure, we'll do that, that'll be great. Uh, and so I've been doing that ever since. And the game has really changed there. When I started, we and everybody else in the business were recording our books on reel-to-reel -reel tape recorders. And uh, you, of course, were listening on cassettes. There was no, no digital sound or anything like that. And I mentioned corrections. When you did corrections, you had to manually, well, I didn't, but the, the uh, monitor did, had to manually find the spot on the tape where the corrections were. And then, like I said, I had numerous corrections early in the game. So if you can imagine going through a 90-minute reel of tape having no real marking capability, that was just a tedious process. Uh, maybe one of the biggest things that's changed since those days has been the move to digital. We now, of course, we record everything digitally. Everything has got a signal on it. When um, Proofreaders go through it. They just mark a spot on the on the uh, soundtrack, say go here and go there. Instead of just whizzing back and forth between tapes fruitlessly for hours, now it's just touch a button and you're in the right place, touch a button, you're in the right place. And if your correction needs to be longer than what was there, that's fine. They can make space for it and it's ah it's wonderful. The whole digital the whole digital thing has really changed it. But what I started really enjoying was uh, the literary discoveries that I got to make uh, because I didn't choose my books, they chose them for me. And I did wind up doing 
not a, not a small number of books that I thought, these are horrible. This is a terrible book. But I tried to give it my best, you know, my best work anyway. But I also was introduced to so many authors that I had never encountered before who have just become favorites of mine. And I've been introduced to genres that I never thought I would have been interested in. And uh, it, it sort of like, it made me realize that everybody should have to do what I do, at least, you know, maybe for a year in their lives, if they're interested in reading, just to be told what to read and not told what to read by somebody trying to indoctrinate you with a particular thing, but just, just getting, uh, here's a Western uh, by, uh, I don't know, uh, <laughs> I don't know, a Western written by a Scandinavian <laughs> um, or, you know, a, a, a topic in, um, uh, nonfiction that you would have never touched on and you wouldn't have thought, oh, if you were looking at a bookstore, you wouldn't even pick up the book because you'd think, oh, I'm not interested in deep sea diving. But when you have to read it and read every word of it, literally, uh, you don't necessarily come out of it thinking, I'm interested in deep sea diving. Now I want to find out more. But you may. And there will be those books that you will do. Uh, you'll do that with. So I, I, it really made me somebody who I'm kind of a, a pest with my friends. I'll encounter a book that has that effect on me and I'll make them read it, you know. Here you go, you, you have to read this book. I'll, I'll go on Amazon and order a book for them and have it sent to their house. It's, it's great fun. <laughs> but uh, some of the authors that I uh, discovered that I really, I really love, Ed McBain. Um, I'm, probably you guys, a lot of you people have, uh, listen to several of those books, the 87th Precinct books. They're so good. I was aware of the 87th Precinct as a concept because I know it was a TV show back in the 60s. Uh, but that's, that's the extent of what I knew. And then I got these books and uh, I really loved them. I just thought they were wonderful. Um, I discovered Robert McCammon. Um, he did a book called Boy's Life, which is People ask me, you read all these books, what's your favorite book? I don't know if I have a favorite, but that's the one that kind of comes up in my mind most of all. If, you, if you've never read it, it's, it's really a, a, a neat coming-of-age novel, sort of a, a Stephen King-ish type thing, although I don't want to say it's like, really like a Stephen King novel, but it, it's got elements of uh, supernatural qualities, but it, it's also, well, it's also a the main character is a 12-year-old boy in 1963 living in the South, which was me. Uh, and, and so it's really neat. P.J. O'Rourke, switch from that kind of book to P.J. O'Rourke. Now, he's a conservative political columnist, or was. He just passed away a few, a few months ago. And I would really not have thought, I'm going to like this at all. Uh, but he also happens to be one of the funniest writers I've in, ever encountered. He did a book called uh, Parliament of Whores, and it's, uh, it's about Congress, which I thought that was a wonderful title for it. Uh, and it was the first book that gave me trouble narrating because it kept making me laugh out loud while I was doing it. <laughs> it was very, 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 very strange. But... Uh, it, it, but he's an interesting author for sure. He's one of the founders of the National Lampoon magazine, if you guys were familiar with that back in the 70s. Um, so a, a kind of a complicated guy, 
conservative. You'd think he'd be a liberal, but he wasn't. But no, no matter what he was, he made me laugh. Um, but I also came to know the guy who's become my very favorite author, and that's Lawrence Block. Uh, I don't know if you know anything about Lawrence, but um, yeah, okay. Um, again, private eye novels. Not uh, Everything he writes is not private eye novels, but he's best known probably for his Matthew Scudder series. And talk about a character. It's really, really, really good. And the character ages over the years just as Lawrence Block has aged. He always is pretty much Block's age whenever he's writing. And uh, when, when a character exists like that over the space of 40, 50 years, which Matt Scudder has, it's really interesting to follow it. And I've been lucky enough to do most of those books. Uh, they've been a lot of fun. Uh, there's been uh, The Green Mile. Um, Stephen King's book. I have, I've done a couple of Stephen King novels, but I haven't done too many, but that's just, that's a tremendous tale, really good. What, probably one of the very best books I've ever done. Um, Candyland by Ed, that's, um, that is a book that uh, has the little gimmick that it's written by Evan Hunter and Ed McBain. Now, if you know Ed McBain, you know that he is Evan Hunter. Ed McBain was the pen name of Evan Hunter, uh, who wrote serious novels. Evan Hunter wrote serious novels like uh, The Heart is a Lonely Hunter. Um, and Ed McBain did the police procedurals. Candyland is one where the fir first half of the book is uh, pretty much a psychological type uh, uh, introspection to this guy. And that's uh, Hunter who writes that. And then at the end of that uh, portion of the book, a murder has been committed. And then in the second half, Ed McBain takes over and uh, the cops solve the mystery. I, I like the little twists like that. It lets me have fun while I'm, while I'm reading. But, uh, you know, every, everything doesn't have to be great. Uh, yeah, I, one of my favorite things to do, too, and it's total junk, The Executioner is a series of men's adventure books. It's a guy who just, you know, he's an unbelievable action hero who goes running around and, you know, blowing up all the bad guys, destroying the mafia. Uh, they're so much fun. I love those, and I can do those in my sleep. <laughs> it's really cool. But uh, a lot of my friends will ask me, um, how many books have you done? And all I can tell them is that I know I've done over a 1,000, because uh, I'm not sure of the... <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I... Uh, I don't know exactly the exact number. One of these days, I'll get, a, I'll get a count there. But my favorite dumb question is, well, how long is a book? <laughs> you guys get it, right? How, how long is a book? I, how high is up? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but I, I did come, come up with a, uh, an estimate. I, 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 there is kind of an estimate. You kind of you know, you kind of know what your average book is. I finally decided an average book over my years would be like about six sides, which, and a side was what used to be on the side of a, uh, a cassette, and uh, 90 minutes. So if uh, an average book was six sides, that would mean that the average length of a book was about nine hours. Okay, so... Nine hours is 540 minutes. 
And that would mean that in a thousand books, I have recorded 540,000 minutes. And you divide that by 60, that's 9,000 hours. And so that comes out to about 375 days. So if you took all the books that I've read and just flipped on your machine and sat back and went into suspended animation and listened to every one of them end to end, you'd spend about a full year and maybe an extra 10 days or so doing that. And that shocked me because I realized that I have recorded that much stuff, so that, that, that's more than a year of my life, a literal year of my life of just talking that's, uh, that's, that's now recorded and, and out there. It's very strange, I, and, that, and that's probably a low estimate, too, so that's, uh, I don't know, it was pretty sobering there. But then the question comes up, people will ask me, how long do you think you're going to do this? Um, well, uh, I don't know if... All of you will remember, but we had a narrator at the printing house. His name was Roy Avers. Yeah, Roy. Roy was a very popular narrator. He uh, he was also the first winner of the Alexander Scorby Award uh, back in 1990, and uh, he did westerns. He was uh, he was a real western king. Uh, he passed away. Uh, several years ago, not that long, I mean, probably about five years ago, it hasn't been long, but Roy was 82 when he died, and he, uh, he read up until the last few months of his life, because uh, he was, you know, in good health most of that time, but he did that. Uh, Mitzi Friedlander, right, she was, uh, she was a friend of mine, as a matter of fact, her son is a good friend of mine. Um, she had been reading at the printing house since the 40s when I started. And she passed away not too long ago, two or three years ago. And she read up until the time she couldn't anymore. She died at 91. And then there was uh, Terry Sales. Terry Sales. She, um, she passed away back in 2006, I believe, at at uh, 94 years old. Uh, and so these were my examples that I saw there when I was the kid, when I came in there. I was, I was the young guy and I thought, wow, you know, this must be good for your health. <laughs> so I retired from my, from my main job. I retired from the television station back in 2018. Uh, but all that did was free me up to do more reading. Because when I... T when I told people, uh, my friends, that I was going to retire, they all said, well, you know, that means you're not going to be re narrating anymore. I said, oh, no, no, no. I'm going to be doing that more often. I've, I, you know, I, I, I'm, st I'm free to do it now. I can, I can pretty much fit it into my schedule any way I want to do it. And for the, for the most part, I'll read like about four days a week, one, one session a, a day. That's two hours. You know, I, if you do more than one session a day, you're going to fry your brain. Uh, <laughs> but uh, that's what I've been doing pretty much since then. And... Uh, now, I'm 71 years old, and uh, 
it's, uh, I, I'm the old guy now, you know? I, I come in there and there's, there's these younger people now who are, I'm thinking, who is this? I've never seen these kids before. Um, but they're the, the new narrators. Uh, but I figure uh, I've probably got several more years left in me. If I've got any of the Roy Abers in me, or the Mitzi Friedlanders, or the Terry Saleses, you know. So maybe, if I'm lucky, I can get my total up to maybe 2,000 books, uh, if I can pull it off. <laughs> I hope you'd wish me luck in that. Um, I, uh, I know I was asked if I would answer some questions uh, before I would end, so I'd be happy to do that if anyone has any. This is Michael Byington from Kansas, and my wife is also a talking book reader, as am I. We, we love your work. But the question that comes to my mind is, uh, lately, of course, we've been seeing more and more commercial audio books that are uh, adapted to NLS uh, revisions. And they're wonderful, too, and they're also good readers. But are they eventually going to squeeze you guys out or is there going to continue to be a stable of wonderful talking books readers that are specifically serving us with the books that are not available with commercial audio? Okay, that's a great question. Uh, and it's one I ask myself a lot of times. Uh, I, can't, I can't give you any official uh, statement about the intents of the, uh, of the printing house and the other places that uh, do books for NLS. But I know that uh, the printing house itself is expanding, it's, and it's not just expanding, it's braille uh, operations and things. I mean, we're talking about a major expansion, a big multi-million dollar thing. On the, and, but they're also expanding the uh, studios for recording. So they're fully invested in doing this. Uh, but it is a really good question, because there are so. I mean, the game is completely different. 20 years ago, you had some audiobooks, but you didn't have very many, and they were, uh, for the most part, abridged. Uh, we didn't get into complete unabridged recordings until relatively recently. And that is a, a competition. But at the same time, uh, it's a competition for people who can cough up the money. And uh, what the uh, NLS program is for is not to make money uh, and to expand expand the world of recorded books to, you know, everyone, regardless of, uh, regardless of their uh, financial situation. I think that will always exist. And we've managed to play off of it a bit because the two worlds, as you say, have come together in that we now put their books out, but we package them with our opening and closing announcements. And so, you know, we're not throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Somebody's already recorded the book. There's no reason really for me to record it. But there are an awful lot of books out there, and I, I don't think we're going to run out of books. Um, oh. Oh. I, right. right. And, and I, like I say, um, we've kind of gotten in on it because we do, we repackage in the sense that you'll, because I do a lot of these myself. Uh, they're called conversion announcements, and they're the, uh, the announcements that you hear at the beginning and the mm -hmm. ends of those books, yeah. which tell you that uh, this is a recording done not by us, but by someone else, and you may hear sound effects, and you may hear music, and you may not get a map that we would have described if we did it, or a chart. They leave things out. 
Uh, of course, we say it much more artfully than that. But, um, <laughs> you know, so we, I, we're picking up a little bit of money as an organization doing that kind of thing, too. So um, they're finding their way to our audience, but I think we can, we can uh, coexist very well for, you know, at least until I make it to 100. So, Ray. Ray. And, and after that, eh. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, 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 think, I think we're okay for the time being. Right. Yes. Yes. Um, first of all, thank you for the work that you and all of the narrators do. This is Ray Campbell from Springfield, Illinois. And um, you mentioned something that prompted a question in my mind is, and that is, are we getting younger people that are interested in getting into being uh, narrators for talking books? And if we're not, um, what uh, can organizations like ACB do to help um, promote this as a, as a viable uh, you know, part of a career uh, for younger people that are coming up that might be interested in reading? Well, um, in my experience, like I say, now as the old guy, I see younger narrators uh, that have come and they're getting into it. Uh, now, I can't speak for other uh, publishing houses and things, but uh, I know in Louisville, the, uh, the pipeline comes from like basically two areas. Um, it, they come from media, television and radio people, and that's kind of natural. Uh, I was doing announcing in the first place, so you know that kind of gets you through the first hurdle. Is you know, is your is your voice okay for this? Um, but you also get get it from the theater community. Uh, an awful lot of our narrators come from uh, either community theater or with Louisville. We have Actors Theater of Louisville, which is one of the the biggest and best organizations theatrically in the world, and uh, a whole lot of people very good people, Mitzi was one of those people I know, um, have become a part of that Actors Theater family. And uh, actors being actors, you know, schedules are, are such that it's not a nine to five job, so you're free to do other stuff during the day. And uh, I think a whole lot of those people have found that narration uh, it, it suits them very well. And when I was talking about different kinds of books, they're great to do fiction because they're doing fiction all the time. Uh, they know how to emote when they're and not over emote, which uh, that's, that's, a, uh, that's kind of a tricky little thing because I know a lot of narrators I've heard got, get uh, criticized for being uh, too over the top with their... Uh, voices, uh, trying to do voices, but at the same time I'll hear the criticism that uh, somebody's, this person's too bland, everybody sounds the same. It's a, it's a very uh, thin line to walk so that you can differentiate characters but you're not doing caricatures. Uh, I know a lot of people, a lot of men would seem to think if, if they have to do a woman's voice, then they have to talk like this. <laughs> Which isn't true at all. Uh, I think you can. Uh, I, I think you can imply males and females with just hints of your voice without getting crazy with that. It does get crazy though when uh, I have to do a scene with maybe four women in a room screaming at each other, uh, <laughs> and they all have to sound different. But 
So far, so good. It's worked out. Yes? Um, so I'm just curious, are there any people who are narrators who are blind or visually impaired? I, I'm sorry, I couldn't hear that. Are there any people uh, who are narrators who are blind or visually impaired? Any, any, any people who are... Yeah. yeah, are there any narrators who are blind or visually impaired? Um, none of the narrators that I know are visually impaired uh, in any way, but I don't know that that's the case everywhere. As a matter of fact, I'm fairly sure that's not the case everywhere um, because I, I, I don't know. I don't know why I think that, but I do because it would make perfect sense that there's nothing, there's really nothing that would keep a narrator uh, from being uh, visually impaired because they can still read off of Braille or uh, I'm not even sure what all the technologies are that you have now, but uh, I don't think it's a uh, disqualifier at all. Yes. Uh. Is there? Uh, speak up if you, oh, you have, here you go. Okay, gotcha. Ray, have you prepared any, this is Jay from Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. Mm -hmm. Have you brought anything with you to give us a short reading? Oh, no, I didn't. Oh, it's too bad. I wish I had, but I, I have not. Uh, boy, I'd like to do the first chapter of Boy's Life for you. It'd all right. That would be great. Uh, well, we, we just want to let you know that you are a really special person to us because we, we've enjoyed your reading for all these years. Thank you. Well, that's great for you. Thank you so much. And believe me, you're all very special people to me, too. That, one of the great things, there, there are two things aside from the actual work I do itself that I've really come to love about this uh, opportunity. And uh, one is the primary one is the feedback that we get, because we get a lot of feedback. Uh, our readers are not people who just sit and take the product they're given and don't, don't tell you about it. We hear when people think that uh, jobs are substandard or how they can be improved, but we also hear, and this is what's good, you know, a lot of times all people will do is complain and they won't do anything else. But we hear from people who are very grateful for what we do, uh, and uh, it, it, it's, it's tremendous when you hear somebody uh, give you a call or uh, you know, write you a letter, and it says, you know, you're really important to me because I really like, you know, falling asleep listening to your narration at night. I think, wow, that's just really, uh, you know, it really is. You actually realize that you're in these people's lives, and uh, it's important. And it, it, any job you do, you know, you want to feel, you want to feel like what you're doing means something. And the feedback that I get and that we all get is that kind of feedback that, uh, you know, is, it's worth more than any kind of a paycheck at all. And the other thing I really like about it is the opportunity to come and meet face-to-face -face all, all of you people. Um, it doesn't happen nearly often enough, but it happens often enough that, uh, I really enjoy it. I like to travel. I like to visit new cities. Never been in Omaha myself now, 
but now I can mark that off my uh, off my agenda. But uh, it's uh, it's very 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 rewarding. Uh, it's a very rewarding activity, and it is a thing. And I always say this, and I hope nobody ever goes and repeats it to the printing house people. I would do this for free. Uh, <laughs> if, no, seriously, if uh, let's say the scenario that we were just talking about earlier came about and uh, commercially recorded audiobooks were going to put us out of business because it, the, we couldn't go to the expense anymore of doing them. I think I'm not alone with the other narrators in saying that, okay, we'd do it for free. I, I'm pretty sure that. Because like I said, I, for the last half hour, I've talked about how much I've enjoyed doing this, and I never once brought up, you know, oh boy, I really like that money. Um, it's, you know, it, with the amount of time we spend doing it, if we did this, let me tell you, if we did this 40 hours a week at the rate we do it, at the, at the pay rate we do it, we'd be making really good money, but we'd also go insane. <laughs> <laughs> we couldn't do it. We couldn't do it. Our, our, our spines couldn't stand it. Uh, our buttocks couldn't stand it. Uh, our brains couldn't stand it. I mean, can you imagine sitting there for eight hours, five days a week, talking constantly? Talk, 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 talk. It's exhausting. Uh, so nobody's going to get rich off of this. When I say I do four sessions a week, that's about eight hours. That's all. That's all I could possibly do. There was a time I did more than that. It was when I was young. Uh, but even then, I didn't do much more than that. But yes, I would do it for free. Uh, yes, this is Elsie Monty. And I have been such an avid reader for a long, long time. And I am very glad that we were part of the All-American Reads program that we had through public uh, television, that was a great way to get other people interested in books. And it was a great way. Uh, one of my favorite classical books is Moby Dick. And I don't know who was a narrator for that, but he sure did a good job. And I just really think the guy that was the black guy with the tattoos was Hawaiian. He had to be Hawaiian. Uh -huh. But, but <laughs> anyway, I, I just want to say, we have, you have done a great job to involve other people who are also disabled. And I appreciate that too. Well, and thank you very much. Okay. Thank you. That's what I'm talking about. Oh, okay, and here's something I'll do that a lot of people say, you, you can't do that. You're not supposed to do that. Or you're crazy to do this. But uh, you want my email address? Because I'd love to hear from anybody if you listen to my uh, books. Um, I, I love to get the feedback. I like to encourage that. Um, so my, my email address is rfouché, and that's spelled... F-O-U-S-H-E-E four one at gmail.com. 
And if you have any feedback on anything you listen to that I do, or even, even if I don't do it, if you, have a, if you have a book you'd like to recommend to me, that's okay. Um, send it along. I really like to hear it. And uh, I, uh, I like to stay in touch as much as possible. Getting to do, I, every once in a while I'm invited to do a podcast or a radio show. Um, that'll show up and the people doing the podcast usually properly promote it. But uh, let's stay in touch. I'd like it. Thank you. Thank you, Ray. Let's give him another big hand. And if you want to hear more from Ray and want to talk to him a little bit more, just go to the Lua session this afternoon at 1 p.m. in Chai 215, and you'll get to hear more from, about what he does. Okay. Next on the agenda, we're going to hear from the lady who knows all about convention, our convention coordinator. Help me welcome Janet Diggleman. First of all, before I get started, as long as I'm standing here, I'm going to make a couple of announcements. I know that's not on the schedule, but that's okay. If you are flying out of Omaha, stop by the information desk and give Vicki your departure time and airline and name, of course, and cell number. Marjorie and the hotel are compiling a list so that they can have everything ready to make sure that we have enough shuttle drivers to get you to the airport in a timely manner. So you need to stop by the information desk and give your departing flight information to Vicki and she will compile a list for Rhonda. I've also been told that the Sugar Warriors, the ACB Diabetics, have some t-shirts left from the walk. If anyone would like to purchase a t-shirt, they're $25. Reach out to Becky Dunkerson at 319 3508098 If you didn't get that phone number you can always call me and ask me for it. I also have someone who has a request of someone who has a glucose monitor. She um, needs a sensor for a glucose monitor and will be happy to return a sensor to you when she gets home. So if you have one please call and let me know and I will connect you. We also have a gray buttonless cardigan that was left at the information desk. And those are my information for my report. Oh, or for my um, announcements. All right, now to the convention report. Are you having fun? Yeah. Yay. You know, every convention has its issues. When I first started this, I thought, oh my gosh, it can't get any crazier than this first convention. Oh, I was wrong, definitely. We have, this has been a tough one. We've gone from in-person to virtual to hybrid. And this is something that, as the hotel and the convention center people have told us, this is really something that's very rare and very difficult to do. And kudos to Rick and Ryan and our AV team, they have done a marvelous job doing this. 
I mean, we've gone through COVID and people, you know, wondering, do I travel, do I not travel? I know that's big and the big issue. We've gone through something called um, gas prices that have gone out up the roof, out of the roof, and people having to make decisions as to whether they could come to the convention or not. For those of you who are not here in person, we hope to see you next year in Schaumburg. And for those of you who are here, I'm so glad to be able to see people face to face. This has been absolutely wonderful. I want to thank my convention committee, Michael Smitherman and his exhibit hall. Boy, we've got a great exhibit hall this year. He's done just a marvelous job getting this all together. Rhonda and her tours. Has anyone in here gone on a tour? Really, amazing. People actually went on tour. Now, I, I hope you've had great times on our tours because we've had some really good tours here in Omaha. When, when we first started the convention planning and we decided we were going to be in Omaha, people said to me, well, there's not going to be much to go to in Omaha. Boy, were they wrong. We've had some good tours. It's been a hard year to get volunteers. Um, people just aren't comfortable. We've, you know, it hasn't been easy, but Sally has worked as hard as possible, and hopefully you've had some good experiences and you've been able to find a volunteer at least part of the time you need one. But Sally's done a great job. Yes, we've had members that have helped. We've got moms and dads and lots of people helping, so it's wonderful. Um, Vicki in the information desk. She does such an outstanding job. And then to those of you who are answering the phones for the off-site information desk, thank you also. We appreciate it. Uh, what can I say about margarine? I think I've said it all before. Margarine is everywhere, doing everything, always. And she is such an asset to the committee. Um, two people who we miss having here very much. Joe Lynn Bailey Page, who is directing us from off-site and doing a land office job of keeping the general session schedule on track and making sure everyone has their presenter information. And Kelly and baby Juniper, who are working to keep everything going and make sure we have all of our files in order. So those are two people we miss. Um, I have to... I could not do this convention. This makes me cry every time I say this. <laughs> I could not do this convention without the Brooklyn Center office. They are so supportive and so helpful. Nancy Becker is amazing. You don't know how hard she works on this convention. We talk so often and she does such a great job. New people in Brooklyn, and of course, Nancy Christine is so into, the, has done this for several years. And thank you, Nancy Christine. And to our new staff members, Chris and Julie in Brooklyn Center, they had their baptism in fire and they've done a great job. And there's one other person in Brooklyn Center, Mr. Lane Waters. And, Lane retired a couple of years ago, but he came back as a contractor, and he claims that he's leaving in December. He claims that he's actually not going to be working for ACB anymore, and that this is his last convention. 
I have told him that that is not acceptable and that he has to come back and help with the conventions. He says that he's not going to, but Lane, you, <laughs> we've been together from the beginning. And thank you, thank you, thank you for all your support. And if you, if you wanna come back in May, June, and July, that'd be great. I said, that'd be great if he wants to come back in May, June, or July. <laughs> but I don't think he's gonna, are you? Well, no. I told, he could come work I told in Nancy AV. I'd make a road trip, one more road trip to Schaumburg, but <gasps> I'm not gonna stay for the whole thing. Okay, you all heard it here first. He's gonna make a road trip to Schaumburg, yay! <laughs> all right. I, I knew he wouldn't leave us. All right. Let's talk about future conventions. 2023, we really are going to, Schaum, to the Renaissance in Schaumburg, Illinois. June 29th. Then, in 2024, we are going to Jacksonville, Florida. And 2025, we're going to the Hilton in Dallas. So we've got three great city venues coming up, and I will close in saying that I think, although there was a lot of, you know, there's, there's always issues with every convention, but I believe overall this has been an extremely successful, and I hope you find fun convention. And thank you. Thank you in honoring me by letting me be your convention coordinator. I love doing this 99% of the time. <laughs> Thank you so much. Do you want me to take a question or two? All right, do we have any questions? Nice questions, not mean questions. Janet? Yes. This is Michael Byington. And uh, yesterday I went into the registration office to buy a couple of raffle tickets for FIA, for which I am treasurer. And uh, Nancy Christine sold them to me. And she said, I'm glad that you're buying these because uh, Nancy Becker says I can't go to lunch and get anything to eat until they're all sold. <laughs> and what I wanted to find out, if you're really treating Nancy Christine that badly, because she was wonderful over there. <laughs> so is the other Nancy, by the way. That was a good not question. Thank you. <laughs> Don't start rumors like that. <laughs> It's on. Check, check. Yeah, here you go. Here you go. Janet, Carla Hayes, you're doing a great job. Could you give us the convention dates for Schaumburg? Thank you. You could if I had them handy. Uh, <laughs> June 29th through July 6th, I believe. Or 30th, I'm sorry, 30th. Whatever that Friday is. 
All right, is there anyone else? We're quickly. Oh, okay, I'm bringing the microphone. Coming to you. Here you go. Hey, here you go. Hey. I'm sticking. Okay. Hey, Janet. Hey. Uh, Triple G from Waukesha, Wisconsin. I just yes. want to say that I've had a great convention, and you know that one of my uh, 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 biggest fears of the convention was all the guide dogs. And I just have to say, I think I've made some new friends in guide dogs this year. And I've taken escalators independently and it's been awesome. And uh, done things that I've never challenged myself in ways that I've never uh, challenged myself before. So I just want to give, uh, this this is a really safe space and uh, I just want to give you kudos for setting up such a safe space to take risks like this convention. And it's, it's, really, it's really great. It's really great. Thank, thank you. Thank you, thank you, Greg. That was very kind of you. You people do know that I'm always in tears this entire report, don't you? <laughs> For those of you who can't see me up on the stage, if you can't tell, I'm a... He's crying. Yep. Actually, oh, that's a hot mic. This is Ray Campbell, president of the Illinois Council of the Blind. This is not a question. I just want to say we want to see all of you, including those of you who are attending virtually, save your pennies, nickels and dimes. We want to see all of you in Schaumburg, Illinois next year. Janet, this is Karen Campbell. do we have any numbers yet from this year? I'm sorry, I was talking. What? She's asking about numbers in person here at the convention, I believe. Oh, how many we had register? We had about 1,100 register, and I'm not, I don't have the final figures right now, so I really don't want to speak on it, but we had about uh, 45% of that in person. All right, I'm gonna. I'm, I'm gonna. No, oh. no, you can't be done. Oh. All right, I got my arm around her. Hey. He's making me not cry. No, he's gonna yeah. make me cry some more. No, maybe. Um, no, he's oh, now he's. No, I'm crying. not. No, I'm not. This is a journey, and when you take this with our leadership team, there is one person that you can always count on to be there for you, and it is Janet Dickelman. We, the, Janet only basically knows two words, yes, and let me see what I can do. I say no once in a while. Yes, and I tell you, as the president, you cannot have a finer person to work with to pull this off. She works tirelessly, whether I'm getting calls and texts at 5 in the morning, 11 o'clock at night, It's day after day. This is not a week. This is not a month. 
This is a year-long effort. She will start planning the Chicago Convention next week for Schomburg. And I just want to say, Janet, you're a volunteer. You are absolutely amazing. Thank you. And let's give Janet a hip, 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 hip. Thank you, that was, very, that was very kind, thank you. And I'm not the only one who's sending messages and calling at you know, five in the morning or 11 at night. Dan, Dan keeps up with me, kinda. Anyway, thank you so much for allowing me to be your convention coordinator and I will see you all in Schaumburg, thank you. Thank you, Janet. We have one final item on the agenda, but stick around because there's going to be door prizes. And I know you don't necessarily have to be here to win, but it's just fun to see who actually gets called. I, I, I would like to win one, you know, just, just one year. It would be really nice. All righty. Oh, no, hold on, hold on. Not just yet. Not just yet. I'll let you know. Yes. The next presentation is our ACB Growth Award. And to present us to us with that award, or with that report, please help me welcome Eric Bridges, our ACB Executive Director from Alexandria, and Nancy Marks Becker, our ACB Chief Financial Officer from Minneapolis, Minnesota, or Brooklyn, Minnesota, or whatever it is. American Council of the Blind logo, ACB's Growth Report, Eric Bridges, ACB Executive Director, Nancy Marks Becker, ACB Chief Financial Officer. Good morning, ACB. This is Eric Bridges, Executive Director of the American Council of the Blind, and I'm so pleased to be joined by our Chief Financial Officer, Nancy Becker. Good morning, Nancy. Good morning, everybody. It is so great to be in the middle of our hybrid convention, and it has been exciting to be with members of our community who we have not seen for two years. That's right. Um, folks uh, might not remember, it seems like it was so long ago, even though it was just a little over two years ago when we held our DC Leadership Conference uh, the last uh, week in February. So wonderful to be back with everyone excited for, for what has been uh, taking place this week and, and uh, the voting and all the goodness that's coming from a hybrid convention. Last year, Nancy and I chatted with you all about uh, growth and about what ACB, uh, what the budget looks like, uh, some of the revenue drivers within our budget, uh, and how ACB has grown the last three or four years. Uh, this year, we're gonna provide you with um, some additional updates. And uh, why don't we go ahead, Nancy, and let's, let's kick it off and, and talk about a couple of the new uh, positions that we added and, and those employees uh, for this fiscal year, fiscal year 2022. Uh, the board approved two additional uh, uh, positions for the organization. And in March, uh, we were very pleased to 
welcome Rick Morin as ACB's uh, ACB Media and IT Manager. And uh, he does what uh, his title <laughs> says he does. And uh, it's been wonderful having Rick join the team. Uh, he'd been uh, contracting with us and also a, a longtime volunteer with uh, what was known as ACB Radio before it became ACB Media. Rick is doing a, a tremendous job managing the hybrid component of this convention. Uh, this has taken an immense amount of time uh, to put together uh, with, you know, with Rick's assistance and many, many others uh, on our team, as well as other members. And we're so, so thankful for that. Also in March, I, I will just add with Rick uh, moving into a, a full-time role, we were really happy to be able to welcome Larry Gassman as, uh, as a contractor working on ACB Media. And it's, it's been great to, to have him become a more formalized part of a, the ACB Media and ACB team. Uh, and just want to, to welcome him and recognize him for all of his efforts. Uh, you know, so much of, of what we're doing this week is, is virtual. Uh, being able to listen through acbmedia.org or the ACB Link app or through your Echo at home uh, provides many different ways to access the content of this awesome conference and convention. Also in March, we were very happy to welcome an individual to oversee ACB's two thrift stores in Texas. And Nancy, I'll, I'll hand it off to you because uh, Chris Sawyer works with you in the Minneapolis office. Correct. So one thing that we um, knew is if we were going to be more successful with the thrift stores that we needed to um, to grow our thrift store business. And we needed somebody who would be dedicated to could dedicate more of their time to manage the day-to-day -day operations. So we hired Chris. He's hired to be the general thrift store manager. And he has done a fabulous job of ensuring quality merchandise is placed on the floor. He's working to draw more customers into our store. And so we have efficient processes in place. At the beginning of the year, when Chris, or at the beginning of the year, we had challenges in meeting our sales goals in the stores, just because I couldn't dedicate as much time as I needed to to the thrift store processes. Since Chris has been brought on board, he's worked diligently with the two store managers, and we have started to see increases in in their sales goals or in their sales that they're doing in the store. He's done a fabulous job of working with both. Harley and Lauren to make sure that when people come into the stores, it looks presentable, that they're following processes. And I am so thrilled to have him in our office. And some of you have called into our office and he answers the phone and helps you with um, MMS donation changes. If you want to make a donation and they wonder why is our thrift store manager answering the phone and taking care of that? Because the other part of Chris's job is also managing our database. So he has done a fabulous job. If you guys want to reach out and just say hi to him, he would love to say hi to you. And I'm very, very pleased to have him on our staff. Awesome. So these are two key areas of, of our business. One is really 
you know, a, a strong communications channel, right, uh, in ACB media. And then the other, you know, is a, is a revenue driver for the organization where we are finally able to dedicate uh, a person to overseeing the thrift stores. And uh, the results have been great thus far. And we will see, uh, you know, given the economy and where things are in the world now, uh, given that we've got uh, management oversight of these stores, just how, you know, how much we can, how much revenue we can generate from these, from these thrift stores, right, Nancy? Correct, correct. Let's talk about revenue. Sure, Eric. So for 2022, ACB's board approved a 2.5 million budget for revenue. When I look at these areas, these funds are generated from, of course, convention and convention sponsorships, ACB thrift stores, grants for projects, fundraising, and through individual donations. So our convention sponsorships for this year are about $330,000, and this accounts for about 13% of our revenue, which is a huge amount of money. We have about 12 corporations who have supported ACB for many years, and this year, there's also a couple of, couple of new ones. These companies have chosen to support ACB during our convention because of the relationship we have developed with them throughout the year. Absolutely, Nancy. And, you know, it's, it's companies like Johnson & Johnson, uh, companies like ES&S Vote, uh, and, and others that are first-time convention sponsors that we've developed relationships with over the last year or two. Perfect. An area that we are starting to see traction in is grant funding and donations from corporations. Grants can provide valuable resources in that they help to find specific projects or fund specific projects or services. We have received grant funds for audio describing in the parks to enable ACB to update our infrastructure and companies have supported us in developing future ACB leaders. They see how ACB is providing exercise classes during our community events, how we are challenging each other to walk and to have a healthier lifestyle. And this has led to ACB receiving funding for some of these initiatives. And for the first time, Nancy, uh, you know, a brand new health hero for the Get Up and Get Moving campaign, Nike. And uh, it's been wonderful to establish that relationship over the last nine months. All right, something I really liked is they were doing was walking to Omaha that they were doing. So while you couldn't really walk to Omaha, everybody is trying to get steps in every day so that they would have a healthier lifestyle. So I think that is really um, interesting. Mm -hmm. um, many individuals are helping ACB with these initiatives. Uh, our volunteers who are sharing their time and talent, which we really appreciate, and we could not do what we are doing without them. With these initiatives, there is also staffing and infrastructure expenses where ACB has applied for and received grants to help support 
what is being done. Um, fundraising has also seen growth, whether it can be the convention or holiday auction, the raffle drawing, or individuals supporting ACB by purchasing merchandise from the mini mall. We just held the convention, the convention auction where everyone had a great time bidding on items they wanted and also bidding against each other. We exceeded our goal of $32,000 for the auction. And I tell you, that was a fabulous night that we had on Saturday night. Nancy, let's uh, go ahead and talk about expenses. Sure. Another component of our budget is expenses, which is budgeted at $2.7 million. So this is the largest category in the expenses area is wages and benefits, which is about 48% of the budget. This seems like a lot of money spent on staffing, but when I think of this, we are reaching out through events, social media, and ACB media in ways that we have never done in the past. There are over 400 community events held each month, and along with the many volunteers who help with this, there are two dedicated staff members who are coordinating and managing these events. Then there is ACB Media, which is streamed free to the listener and is providing support at our state conventions. Our communications team works hard in providing information through our social media channels. Then there is our advocacy and government team who is working with companies and our elected officials on accessibility issues, along with taking calls from individuals or their family members who are looking for resources. We also have a grant writer and audio description coordinator who is helping with training institutes and promoting the accessibility of audio description. So along with these individuals who are helping with our programs directly, there is an administrative staff who is working behind the scenes to keep information up to date ensure the donations are tracked accurately and are supporting many of our ACB events. So while our, our wages may seem high, there is a lot of work that we are doing behind the scenes to um, help our community members to stay connected with each other and to be more engaged. Yeah, it's, it's been remarkable. I've, I've had the great fortune of working for ACB for 15 years now and to, to watch the growth of, of uh, the, the team over the last few years, the support of this growth in our team by the board of directors, uh, you know, we're able to do much more today for our, our members in the broader community um, than we have in the past. We're able to far better communicate the great works of this organization than we have in the past. Um, and that is something that will continue to improve. There's always room for improvement and communication. Uh, but there are, there are so many wonderful things that we're able to do to work alongside the members. And uh, it's, been, it's been really a lot, of, a lot of hard work, but also a lot of fun to, to be part of it all. Anything else you want to add? I do not have anything else to add. I'm just very excited to be here at the convention. And I look forward to the banquet tonight. 
Yes, me too. Have a great rest of your convention, everyone. And keep advocating. A logo, ACB, in print and braille, American Council of the Blind, together for a bright future. Thank you, Eric and Nancy. It's great to be able to hear what's been going on over the past year and how we've grown. And, you know, sometimes I know as members, we sometimes think all this stuff is sort of happening in a vacuum and, you know, we don't really know what's going on. But just the transparency that is shared and getting to hear where we've been and where we currently are is, is awesome. Okay, Mark, are you ready? It's door prize time! Door prize time! No. Come on now. Yeah! Now? Yes. All right. Anybody ready for door prizes? All right. Today we have seven door prizes. Okay. The first one is $50 cash from Lua. I'll take that. From the great state of Texas, we have the winner is George Gordon. George Gordon, you are the $50 winner. And then the next prize is a $25 gift card from the Missouri Council. From the great state of Utah, we have Chris Green. Chris Green. All right, now we have a, uh, a $25 gift card from the Illinois Council. Thank you, Illinois Council. From the great state of Delaware, we have Suzanne Howell. Oh. Suzanne Howell. Okay. Who doesn't need an Amazon gift card? <laughs> I do. From a twenty, do. we have a twenty-five dollar Amazon gift card donated from the host committee of Nebraska. We have from the great state of uh, Louisiana, Grady Ebert. Grady Ebert. All righty. Uh, then we have a, a $25 Uber, Uber card. Again, from the Nebraska here. And uh, the winner is from the uh, wonderful state of Kentucky. Uh, how about Mr. Joey Couch? Ooh, Joey Couch. Go. All right, then. We have a $25 Uber card. And this is from uh, Nebraska again. From the great state of Missouri, we have Treva Downing Patton. Treva Downing Patton. And then uh, the last one we have is a $50 $50 gift card, uh, cash, $50 cash from Mike and Kathy Duke. Thank you, Mike and Kathleen. Uh, from uh, Tennessee, the great state of Tennessee, 
we have Amber Grant. Amber Grant. Now, if you're a winner of one of these uh, wonderful door prizes, they will be mailed to you. And I'd just like to thank uh, my host committee here for helping get this all organized. So thank you, guys. Uh, another great day, another great conference. Thank you. All right. Thank you so much. That's, wow. Oh, they haven't called my name yet, though, you know. We're going to have to keep going until my name gets called. <laughs> All right, time for announcements. I'd like to first recognize David Trott. I'm sure he's got announcements. Okay. Uh, Jean Mann asked me to pass along to you that she's sorry she's not here this year for MMS, but uh, that she does expect our folks to see you signing up or adding to in the, uh, well, I can't even think this morning, the exhibit hall. <laughs> <laughs> um, also, bear in mind now, it's not just the two $25 gift prizes that we're giving away every day, the two Amazon gift cards, but long toward the end of August, if you've signed up since last convention or added to your amount that you give each month to MMS, that's the monthly monetary support, uh, you will be in line for either a $200 second prize or $300 first prize, which will also be Amazon gift cards. Now, I'm really going to mess this first name up because I know it don't even look right on my phone, but maybe I'll get it close. Our first $25 winner today is Casey Dutmer. Dutmer. Dutmer, okay. Woo! I bet I can get forgiven for messing it up, right? <laughs> <laughs> and our second winner, I've known this boy so long that uh, I even knew him before he had gray hair, so I know I'll get his name right, Paul Edwards. Aww. <laughs> and don't forget the Braille Forum raffle. Alan will be around with those tickets, and you can also get them over in registration. Thank you, Denise. Have a great day, everybody. Thank you, David. Okay, well, I want to thank you all for the opportunity to be your presiding officer today. It's been a wonderful morning. We've gotten to hear from some great speakers. So go forth and enjoy the sessions this afternoon. Participate, participate, participate. And we'll see you all back here tomorrow morning. Same bat time, same bat station. All Have right. a good day, guys. All right, Denise and Elson. Thank you all so much, and our meeting stands adjourned till tomorrow morning, Wednesday at 8.30 a.m.